Welcome back to the Couch Command. Uh, we be the podcast with key be to lock. With me today, I have MJ. Greetings and salutations. And uh, <laughs> just a quick quote from our good friend Solomon Short. Just remember, the only winner of the War of 1812 was Tchaikovsky. Ah, nice one, okay. <laughs> you have no idea how much that, that, that makes me happy. I'm guessing you're getting deep in Jeter land. <laughs> I thought you'd particularly enjoy that one. Wait, wait, wait. What is this reference to? What's going on? Uh, David Gerald's Couture series that um, Isaac's talked about on the podcast before. I uh, just started dipping into it after I accidentally met David Ger- Gerald uh, in Vegas back in 2021 because I really liked his Solomon oh, Short seriously? t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea who he was. I just really liked the t-shirts and I got home and started reading the book. I'm like, oh crap, I met the guy. Is this Oops. the one where like, there's this kind of like alien virus taking over the planet? Alien parasites, basically. Yeah. Well, it's like an alien ecology that's kind of like building and supplanting Earth's ecology. So it's like an alien invasion story just from like a really unique um, uh, spin. Start yeah, that with a virus. Yeah. Cool. Sorry. Uh, but also with me today, we have Isaac from Lobster Magnet Reviews. Hey, hey. Uh, I'm so glad. That's so funny that you met David Gerard. My only complaint is I wish you said you, you guilted him and said, well, why, when are you going to finish the Chatur books? When are you going to stop posting on Facebook and get those goddamn things done? I'm going to go to Vegas next year, so I'll poke him for you. But uh, all right. Anyway, next and- then, lastly, we have with us special guest podcaster Stephen Danelli, um, a uh, illustrator friend that I met through time long ago at a Ren fair. When it just by happens by 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 a coincidence, um, he was putting together an Indiana Jones role playing game book, and he thought I'd be great for the cover. And I, I have been, I, I'm still glowing. From being a part of that, Stephen, please say hello. Hello, I'm Stephen Danelli. Uh, this is my very first podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Welcome. <laughs> Indeed, we'll the, honor is ours. <laughs> the honor is ours. This guy, he, he's actually you know been a part of the industry that we talk about. Like he uh, has done some video game design. He's, I think, were you part of Crimson Skies? Yes. Holy shit, man! I've oh snap! Let yeah. me clarify. Crimson Skies High Road to Revenge for the Xbox. There I remember go. that game. That was like um, part of the um, Xbox Live uh, initial wave when like Microsoft was kind of like making these like quasi PC games like Mech Assault, yep. uh, Crimson Skies, and, and ha- until Halo. It, it was, that was a pretty good game. It's kind of a shame. It's kind of been forgotten by history, but that, that was like a solid Xbox release. Thank yeah, you. that is a very big shame. I love the hell out of that game, like flying into giant um, beast ships and, and going in between their like whirling blades to shoot the insides. I, God, I had so much fun with that game. Yeah. Um, also, wow. he worked on I, Dark You Boy remember Beast. that. That's amazing. Oh, man. Yeah, I can't forget Crimson Skies. That, that had, that's, yeah, that's maybe one of my favorite games of all time, maybe, but it should have been a franchise. That was such a fun game. I agree. Um, also, uh, what else can you tell us about a little bit about yourself? You worked on Dark Void. Uh, yes, I also worked on Dark Void. Um, I am a commercial artist who currently works in the video game industry. 
if you're curious about my work, you can find me on ArtStation at Stephen Donnelly, artist, uh, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-D-A-N-I-E-L-E. We'll definitely link you in the show notes. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but aside from Chuck, uh, Stephen's the other big um, Indiana Jones fan that we have with us. So I think uh, the best way to start out is to tell each of our histories on uh, Indiana Jones, and I'll go first, if that's all right. All right. With no uh, verbal uh, opposition, I will go ahead. It's your show, man. You, do, you run it however you want. Yeah. Just no objection. <laughs> Unless someone is like, oh, man, I got something to say about stuff and junk and blah, blah, blah. But okay. So Indiana Jones, uh, for me... Um, was a slow burn to being in love with it. Um, because as a kid, um, it was scary as hell, uh, a tad boring in places and more for grownups, but it wasn't, I, I it was way before my teens that like, you know, it just, you know, kept on watching them start growing on me. The temple of doom also once again, uh, at first pretty much put me off because it was scary, disgusting and, and horrifying. And then uh, I think, I'm not sure, just through those times where you don't have many options and you just keep going back to it and it keeps getting better over time. And then The Last Crusade was the grand finale that I was over the moon for, I was in love with. I watched it so many times. I loved the final traps. The Penitent Man Will Pass uh, is one of my favorite moments in, in cinema history as he kneels and then rolls and the, the, the sound effects of the, the swinging blades. Um, and then, uh, yeah, yeah, then the Crystal Skull happened, and no one wanted that to happen. And that was, uh, you know, uh, gave me the same feeling that after, like, you know, it settled in that the prequels weren't the greatest thing ever. That's what Crystal Skull was for me. But, um, yeah, I, I've been a big fan of Indiana Jones throughout time. I've read a couple of the 90s novels and uh yeah yeah my my base claim to indiana nerd fame is being on the cover of an indiana Jones role-playing game book um mk <laughs> what's your history uh kind of same deal uh, as far as a slow burn into it i really didn't get into indian until the last crusade came out in 89 mm-hmm. i saw that and like this is an awesome freaking movie and then i saw raiders later on and I, I know I'd seen Temple at some point in the 90s, but I couldn't remember a thing about it outside of short ground going, you call him Mr. Dr. Jones, lady? <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, I, fi- I mean, I finally watched that again uh, leading up to Dial of Destiny. Um, I, I like the series. I, it, I can see why um, Harrison Ford preferred that franchise over Star Wars after a fashion, because, you know, just seems a lot more fun and adventure, even though I still think he's better as Han than Indy, but that's just me. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, uh, Crystal Skull, the less said about that, the better, but it's all right. Cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, and I, I did dabble a little bit in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles because one of my buds was a big Indiana Jones fan, and he'd have the Indiana Jones Chronicle, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles playing in the background whenever we're hanging out. So I saw that off and on over the years, but. Um, 
yeah, I never read any of the books, never got into any of the other stuff, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much my background with it. Oh yeah, I was a huge Young Indiana Jones Chronicles uh, fan back in the day. Like I, that was like event television for me. Windows coming on, it just everything else put aside. The real shit is about to happen, and yeah, I, uh, I'll say I loved it. Um, but man, uh, it was. It definitely didn't give you much what you know of as Indiana Jones in that show uh, quickly enough. It was a frustrating thing where you go, all right, it's Indiana Jones, but it's like Indiana Jones uh, Adventures Through the History Channel or something like that, where he just keeps on up in, like, Indiana, not Indiana Jones situations, like, what do you like to know what Indiana Jones is like in World War One? Not fighting Nazis, not going treasure hunting, but just surviving war. And it's like, I guess I would. I mean, yeah, I'll do it. They wanted to appeal to that PBS crowd, man. Come oh, on. God, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it was Lucas's. And why, and then why do you think I was tripping balls when I saw Young Indian Boondock Saints later on? Like, oh my God, that's I Indy. love that actor. Wait, uh, uh, Steven, you were about to say something? I was going to say it was uh, Lucasfilm's venture into edutainment, <laughs> where they took a popular <laughs> character and then I, it struck me as the kinds of like videos you would watch when you were in high school. Here's a little bit about a history and we're going to make it in. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, all right, learning something's good. I get Indiana Jones. I, I, I'm actually kind of wondering, like, did, did I force myself to like it? Um, because it was Indiana Jones. Um, and then well, Henry well, Jones senior ended up in the new Lord of the Rings series. So that was even funnier. <laughs> Random question to our uh, video game um, uh, person who's actually in the video game industry: What happened to the edutainment industry uh, of like video? Did they? Did people just like stop caring or stop trying? Because it feels like that completely died out along with like the licensed uh, game industry, which is like basically just mobile games. No, nobody does like movie tying games anymore. I don't know for sure. I would speculate and say that financially uh, it just wasn't the path that mainstream entertainment is. And so, you know, with studios, it's like, yes, we could do this and we could make a certain amount of money or we could do the thing that lots of people like and make a lot more money. So I suspect that's part of it. Um, And it may still be out there. I just... You know, if you've got school-age kids, it might be worth looking into. I have no idea. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess like my, my like the the experience of it as a kid while it was happening was like, I see what you're doing. Uh, if this is the only thing on, then yes, I will I will watch it. But like any day of the week, I'd rather choose GI Joe or Transformers or something that is more about education on action sequences and explosions. Yeah, I. I will say, I think part of the allure for Indiana Jones, part of the reason that I fell in love with the character is it fired my imagination and it got me curious about the stories behind it in different places, archaeology in general, um, prehistory, that sort of Um, thing. Then please keep going about what's your history with Indiana Jones, like, yeah, and all the way to your professional life. I, uh, so I was fortunate enough to have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark in the theater uh, when I was a kid. Uh, 
it had a profound effect on me. Uh, you don't see many movies like that, or up until that point, you really haven't. It was highly entertaining, uh, exotic, and I think one of the things that stuck with me was that Hitler actually was interested in um, cult, unusual, historic, yeah, the occult artifacts, and was looking for these items. Cool. And so they made such a fun film that was inspired by history, and that got me curious about history. Um, the impact, uh, the impact was really solid. Uh, Temple of Doom. I, when I think about Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think it takes a lot of things and inspired by them, and does, in my opinion, one of the top twenty films in the world. Temple of Doom. Uh, following that up, Temple of Doom just did all the things without the inspiration. It's very much a cartoon. I'm not a fan. Uh, it, it really appeals when you're younger because it's kind of gross and weird and sophomoric in its storytelling, but it's fun. Uh, I love The Last Crusade, and for me, that's where Indiana Jones ended on film. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <Same>. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Career-wise... I was inspired by Ansel and Drew Struzan, who did movie posters, and then a comic book cover artist named Dave Dorman. So when I first started drawing and really trying to get my portfolio out there, I would actually use photos of Indiana Jones, and I would do these marker and colored pencil on colored paper type illustrations. Uh, in the late 90s, I took a position with TSR, the creators of Dungeons and Dragons, and I was uh, outside of Milwaukee in an area called Lake Geneva, and that's where I met Keith at the Ren Fair. Uh, and at the Renaissance Fair, he was dressed as Dritz. <laughs> I was like, I know Dritz. I work with Dritz I every day. That you think <laughs> that I was dressed as Dritz, <laughs> but I was dressed as a ninja. <laughs> okay, I'm just, I'm but you really had two stories. My mind went to Dritz. We were kids then. It's like the costumes aren't the best. Uh, at that time, there was a pen and paper game company called West yes. End Games, and they had the license for Indiana Jones, and I had been commissioned to do a cover for them and the interior art. So uh, the Indiana Jones book is called Magic and Mysticism, The Dark Continent. Uh, you can see it on Art Station. It's just Indiana Jones in Africa. Let's see, from there, I, my passion for pulp still exists. And that led me into video games, and I went to work for Microsoft in late 2000. Uh, my first shipping title was Crimson Skies, High Road to Revenge. Ooh. I neglected to mention, one of the influence was Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, the Lucasfilm game from the mid-90s, kind of a point-and-click adventure game. Lots of fun. Great story. And uh, after some years at Microsoft, I went on to Airtight Games and made Dark Void. Um, my time working on Chris Crimson Skies introduced me to a fellow named Jeff Combos, and he owns Exile Games, and he produced a pen and paper game 
called Hollow Earth Expedition, which is a very pulpy type RPG with multiple books. Real celebration of pulp. That is the focus of it. Did and, you do this cover? Yeah. Which I'm seeing like at? Hollow Earth Expedition. There's like uh, woman, man, adventures back to back and a dinosaur attacking. Does the man look like a young buff version of me and then the old man look like an old man? <laughs> Are they of both me? holding Which rifles? Like, oh. yes, yes, it does, dude. <laughs> yes, I, I love that. your art so much. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't posted it to Art Station yet, but I will be doing that. See. <laughs> and that that brings us up to date. Then that brings us to July, what was it, third, second, first? When did the Dial of Destiny come out? Uh, July 1st. July 1st. All right. And I think I went and saw it the second. No, it was the first. All right, then. Um, next up, Isaac, your, your path of Indiana Jones. So it's kind of hard to, like, pick out a distinctive point because to me it just feels like indiana jones was always there Mm -hmm. he was like the quintessential pulp hero he was like part of that great trend in the 80s where uh you know expert level masterclass filmmakers would take you know uh, the schlock from like the 1930s and 40s serials and elevate it to the level of not just like be disposable entertainment, but like the vision they had in their mind of these uh, action heroes and fantasies and pulp cal- characters like uh, what's that famous one? Solomon something or another? Uh, Solomon, not Solomon Kane. Um, you're thinking of uh, Solomon Quartermain. Yeah, Alan Quartermain. Isn't there another one, Solomon Gold or Gold Sampson or Solomon Gold Sampson? I know I'm like getting it confused. There's like, there's like Docs, Doc, Doc Savage, Savage. <laughs> like Doc Savage, Doc like Savage. those kind of characters yeah. that like um, were never because like you know what? Oh, I always find very interesting is like, and you're going up in college or high school or community college. Were you ever assigned The Godfather as a reading book? No. No. And that is because the Godfather book is just a low grade pulpy novel uh that is not held in high literary regard but the godfather movie is uh elevated material uh, masterclass one of the finest pieces of cinema uh eternal classic that is uh influential to this day and reference to this day uh and that is like the transformative power of film and i feel like indiana jones uh took all of those like pulp serials pulp characters and just became the de facto image of cinematic perfection of those archetypes that everyone is still trying to hold up to. So for me, he's just always been there. He's been on in reruns. He's been on the Indiana Jones stunt show. He's always been this constant presence that everyone tries to imitate but usually fails to uh, just because uh, Spielberg was working at just that high of a level. And to me, it's interesting how, like... um, I guess uh, Star Wars is always built better for um, 
mass uh, franchise filmmaking just because Star Wars has been successful in games, it's been successful in books, it's been successful in comics. Well, I feel like Indiana Jones, all of the other um, stuff that's been associated with him, always feels like it's kind of like on a lower tier that doesn't quite... Um, uh, reach the same level as like the original films within there, and maybe that's just because he's kind of designed to be a James Bond character, but he was never really given that opportunity to become a James Bond character because it, it was the eternal Harrison Ford vehicle. And wasn't that the original inspiration that like uh, G- Steven Spielberg said? I uh, Steven Spielberg said I want to do a James Bond movie, and then George Lucas came up to him and said, "Hey, what if I told you I had a character who was a." hundred times better than james bond sort of like i from what i hear the legend goes uh it was before steven spielberg's name was big enough and he's like please let me do james bond please please and they're like no not you and then they're like and then uh george is like bro we can do our own james bond and indiana jones rose because i feel like indiana jones is like um kind of uh he comes from that archetype. He comes from that James Bond archetype of like the ultimate masculine male. But I guess what makes him sort of like a more sophisticated character uh, is the fact that um, he's also he's kind of like the uh, the overdog as masquerading as underdog, where he's super tough. He can get into fights, but he's always matched up with like big bruisers who look physically more imposing to him. He's always sort of getting brutalized, and he's also kind of like a smarter character in than James Bond. You know, because he's a professor of archaeology, mm-hmm. uh, he's in high the high world of academia versus uh, James Bond, who like pretends to be a highfalutin society, but it's just about, you know, uh, girls and mar- uh, margaritas. Um, it never feels like James Bond could, like, go to a college lecture. Right. Uh, yeah, and um, uh, another friend, uh, Mike French from the Retro Blasting podcast, um, he has a very strong opinion on uh, the James Bonding of Indiana Jones, and that should have happened. Um and I just want to get each your opinion on that. Like, so, okay, so, like, my opinion on James Bonding Indiana Jones, at first, my, my, biggest, my, big, my biggest issue with, like, you know, how do you keep the franchise going forever? And to me, I think you should just keep making new heroes and, like, populate that world like it's the Star Wars world where other heroes exist. Um, but uh, Mike French was saying that, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay, sorry yeah, to interrupt you. Uh, can you define? Can you define what you mean by? Oh, absolutely. Oh, 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 all right. What's your definition? Because, yeah. uh, like, t- tell me if I'm wrong about this. Uh, but I think James Bonding is having multiple actors play the same character in different eras without a sort of strict continuity. Is, is that kind exactly? Of- exactly. Um, and like, I was thinking, like, why are we? Uh, maybe through this conversation we'll be able to figure out, but why are we sticking with just Indiana Jones? Like, I love him. He's a great character. But to me, like, um, seeing the awesome characters like Indiana Jones or Luke Skywalker or Han Solo, the best thing about them is that they imply that there are other people like them in the world. So that the fun thing would be is to, um, the next part would be, the, the next sequel of the Indiana Jones universe would be Hollow Earth Expedition, where you meet... Steven Nelly and and his uh, and his friends as they go um, fight dinosaurs underground. Uh, but my friend was saying like 
the core concept and like the caricature, everything about him is something you want to keep around. You just can't remix it and have the same impact. So the problem was by um, The Last Crusade, it had become way too personal for Harrison Ford, and he wasn't able to let it go. I think the reason why he likes Indiana Jones so much is because he had a part in creating it. And like this is like Indiana Jones is his Star Wars, where Lucas has uh, Star Wars and Spielberg has everything. Uh, it seems like Harrison Ford, all the interviews have been listening to Indiana Jones, seems like it's like it's his creation. So he doesn't want to have someone else create his own character. That's, I, it's Keith, own. I think you speak. I think you speak to one of the fundamental flaws and mistakes that Which Lucasfilm is? has made. They look at Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. They don't look at Indiana yeah. Jones as a character to yeah. be played. And it's there's a lot to do with the character. And yes, he should have been James Bond. We should be seeing more stories in the 1930s. And we should be seeing different actors playing the character. I, I am of the opinion that there is a level of narcissism that you will see in Hollywood where the actor becomes yeah. more important than the part that they Absolutely. play for some people. And I think that's one of the reasons why Hollywood is failing. Because we, I, I've always felt that. Um, and then, like, I, I've been like, so part of the podcast, like I keep mentioning, is like, finding out what the hell happened to Star Wars. How do you fail when you have everything? And um, just trying to, like, I've been, like, looking through, like, the creative process and things. And, and part of the creative process I've been noticing is that, like, it seems like it's a Dungeons & Dragons game where um, a lot of the complaints, I've been meaning to bring this up, that a lot of geeks like us say is that, hey, could you please just make movies like writers make books like just continue the story oh, uh, can you guys hear me yeah, yeah i can hear you um although um you're cutting out in and out a little bit i don't know if that's an internet issue uh can you hear me uh, yeah i can hear you um let me just see yes. if there's anything extra i can turn but, um, on my computer uh, um yeah, let me uh, yeah. i, I kind of want to yeah. respond though to that uh, comment that like Actors and narcissism, because that, that's a really interesting thing, because it feels like we're in a new era where and I think you're right about the actors and narcissism from like the 80s and the 90s. And maybe that's probably what stopped Indiana Jones from being James Bondified. Um, but like this new era, it's all about the franchise. And, and sometimes the, the franchise character could be more important than um, the actual actor. As Anthony Mackie, as we've talked about before, says that like you know uh i'm not a movie star the falcon is a movie star captain america is a movie star chris evans isn't a movie star the age of the movie star is kind of dead and in some ways you could say the dial of destiny is a another nail on the coffin i'm sure we'll get into it in terms of like the age of the movie star being dead uh but like it- <laughs> yeah, no, no, don't tell that to tom cruise he's gonna be news News is coming out. The Dead Reckoning Cruise is not doing Springs. much better than Indiana Jones did. We'll see. I mean, they like Dead Reckoning is barely making more than 
Indiana Jones did at the same point. So we'll see what happens. Oh, maybe it'll have good word of mouth. But I mean, you're you're right. It's it's interesting to see like Tom Cruise like fight that uphill battle to try and keep it up. And, and I think just to like you know speak poetically a little in flowery, um, movie making and storytelling is the ultimate. Um, uh, intersection of art and commerce. Uh, Marvel, you know, before they kind of like went into their st- slip down of quality and into mid territory, was hold like, on a second. Oh. I I apologize, real quick. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if we're still recording. Let's see. Uh, yeah, it's a, it says Craig. Craig, yeah, you're there. Craig. Okay, yeah, it says recording. All right, cool. Like, because I already have a download option. Yeah. Well, uh, do, do you want to like end the recording and then pick up uh, just to make sure that you have like the first few minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're gonna take just a really quick break and be right back. All right, sorry about this, guys. One sec. And we're back. Uh, did you did you uh, download the first half? Oh, I have. It's waiting for me to download it. Oh, did you want me to see like how long ago? Oh, I just want to make sure that that it's uh, saved and, and safe um, <laughs> before we move on to uh, talking. Um, it's safe. Uh, but okay. yeah, we're awesome. gonna keep going. All right. Anyway, um, and, and, uh, real quickly, I want to finish my my point uh, that I was saying before, but I was cutting it out. Uh, about the like the narcissism, but I'm also seeing it as like uh, a Dungeons Dragons game where it's friendship. Like the biggest problem that happened with um, Crystal Skull is that it was like a family reunion for that cast and crew. Like when they make movies, they can't let go of each other. Like the dungeon master is uh, Steven Spielberg and Indiana Jones. He made he rolled this uh, Harrison Ford rolled this character so that. If there was a meeting where they're like, hey, hey, even though like Harrison Ford is like my brother, I think we're just going to like not have him in this. And then I lose a family member, basically. And that's like the problem that Hollywood's running into where it's way too personal versus the creation of the story. Well, the thing about Crystal Skull, and uh, you'll love this. Um, I was going to see my mom in Colorado, and I was watching um, what you called uh, Last Crusade, which you know is still such a great movie. And to me, I think one of the big, huge flaws of um, Crystal Skull was the technology gap. Like one of the reasons why um, those old Indiana Jones movies so work so well is that they're all like these like really efficient, really great practical films that feel tactile, they feel right. real, um, and Indiana Jones, a part of its DNA, is kind of this cartoonish playfulness. There, there, there's an inherent Looney Tunes quality uh, to it. Um, and like a great example is um, <coughs> when he's like in the uh, market of Marrakesh and uh, Marion Ravenwood gets in one of the baskets and then he, he runs into the market and then there's a billion baskets and he's got to find the <laughs> right one. That is a bit straight from a Looney Tunes cartoon. But the reason why it's like palatable and you don't groan and roll your eyes is because it has that sort of practical grounded background versus uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when you don't have that uh, and you, then you just have Shia LaBeouf uh, 
you know, uh, f- mm. swinging in vines. And, and and on its surface level, it feels, um, you know, like, uh, yeah, the, now we have the technology. We can make Shia LaBeouf swing with m- m- monkeys. This is this is the kind of shit we would have loved to have seen in the 1930s but couldn't do because of uh, reasonable technology limitations. If I but- could introduce a semi-controversial idea, I think George Lucas directed the second half of Crystal Skull. <laughs> I'm fairly certain because you, you compare the first half. I mean, the first half of the movie, it's you know, welcome back, Practical. hey, it's Indy, and hey, they're having the big chase around the campus, and that chase scene around the campus with uh, Mutt driving or right, dri- uh, on the motorcycle and Indy hanging on to him. That was such an awesome yes. action sequence. That was, awesome. and then you got the like Isaac saying the complete Looney Tunes insanity of the jungle chase, and then. Mutt getting swept off of the frickin' duck and having to swing on the vines with the monkeys to catch up with everybody, and then Marion driving the duck off of the edge of the cliff and then landing in the tree, and the tree slowly bending down to the river so they can get off in the tree, flying back and whacking all the Russians. That is such Looney Tunes George Lucas crap throughout <laughs> that second half. I am convinced that Steven's just like, you know what? George, you haven't done anything Bye. since uh, Revenge of the Sith. Have at it, man. You can take the second half. Ooh. I'm good. <laughs> it's it's interesting. There's anything, yeah, because uh, it does feel like the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was basically Spielberg just like uh, battering down to the persistent, uh, bat, you know, annoyance of his friend. Come on, let's do another one. Let's do another one. We got to do another one before he gets too old. And he's like, fine. Uh, it was exactly uh, that. <laughs> it was exactly that. Well, you know that uh, Lucas's original concept for Crystal Skull, or at least what eventually became Crystal Skull, was way weirder than what we actually saw on screen, right? Uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, In what way? It's an overview. Um, originally, um, Lucas wanted to make another indie in the mid-90s, like about 94, 95, and this led to this and that led to that, and they ended up not making it. He wanted to make a movie called Indiana Jones and the Saucer Men from Mars. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, and it was even more batshit weird than what we saw in 2008. So I threw the link in the chat there if you guys want to go perusing through it. But um, it's like, um, long story short, be glad it didn't see the light of day. It's like oh, this yeah. concept that I see where, like, it was done, like, uh, it's what, so, like, there's He-Man, and then there's the new adventures of He-Man. And it's like uh, creators moving their action figures into different genres when... The audience doesn't want to see 1950s schlock, especially if you're looking at Indiana Jones. We're here for that specific era that he was in, like 1940s, 1950s? No, no, 1940s. 1930s. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and like I guess if you James bonded it, then we could get to see it. Uh, Sorry, Steve, you were saying? Uh, Pre-World War II. Yeah, so we want to see that era, but uh, I think, yeah, George Lucas is like, no, he could fit in any genre or era which didn't work no he he like if you were gonna do that then you had to james bond him and uh before we uh you know cut it off i was gonna wax poetic uh you know entertainment is the com is the combination of art and commerce uh you have to make money but you want to touch people's spirits you want to enrich them you want to give them larger than life you want to give them aspirations you want to type into the fantasy that you wish you could be to strive for a greater ideal and that is kind of like why indiana jones still persists is this great character but you got to make money and you got to keep things going uh, for a time like the, the cinematic universe phases one through three was like the ultimate um 
merger of art and commerce. It was this ever-expanding world that continued to add new facets and grow and become this living universe that was on par with the imagination of the comics. It felt like the it was this great merger of uh, talent and, of course, um, y- you know, uh, having like little uh, tie-ins and Easter eggs and post-credit scenes was like little marketing. Uh, hey, uh, guess who's coming in the next movie? Oh, don't you want to uh, see? Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, from a cynical standpoint, you could say that, like, uh, oh, this is so stupid. It's just sticking around for a commercial for the next stupid product. But, like, the fantasy aspect of it is, like, you're enriching this universe and getting people more prepped up to see what's going to expand and teasing future story arcs and giving the ultimate payoff. And it worked brilliantly uh, for those, like, uh, first three phases. And that, that that's kind of like... Um, where uh, Indiana Jones, like, to, to hit that commercial and potentially artistic thing, it needed to be James Bondified uh, with different actors and potentially different eras that would give you more, um, because when it's tied to Harrison Ford, it's tied to his age, which uh, ties the character to... Uh, uh, earth and reality in mm-hmm. the sense that uh, the story has to reflect who Harrison Ford is now versus, you know, like going to the 1950s and then the 1960s to reflect how he's grown. And I'm sure we're going to get into uh, Dial of Destiny, how that kind of is not compatible with the fantasy and the pulp adventure of what Indiana Jones is to uh, so many people. Um, I completely agree. I love uh, I, I love that um, Star Wars and Indiana Jones hit. It came up from like what they were in uh, George Lucas and Spielberg were into in, as kids. Like this was their stuff when they grew up, and then then when they grew up, they got to make their stuff into how it looked in in their minds. And now we're living in the era of a bunch of um, adults who grew up with comic books, and now comic books are the new pulp novel, and. We're seeing that happen again. So oh, uh, also, I was actually kind of wondering, real quick. I was uh, yeah, the, the, the last thing I wanted was, yeah, I was wondering, like, so what do these next kids grow up to make? Are they going to be making movies about YouTube? <laughs> so no, man, they're just going to let AI do it all now. <laughs> I, seriously, we, no, we're, we got young creators coming up who grew up on commentary of the stuff that we grew up on. So. Like, what does that create? What is commentary that of the commentary? Yeah, like we'll be can you that or, or the more video game Well, our sorry, say again. We'll all be jumping off and screaming off the meta mountain before we know it. I, I'm Just sure. I, I think Keith, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's uh, right now. It's going to be video games. I think uh, you know, video game culture and video game uh, styles is being adapted. And now that it's making money, it's going to open up a floodgate. The other thing I would argue, I think, is a huge influence is uh, anime. Uh, it's kind of like reaching this interesting tipping point. I'm sure we'll save this discussion for the geeking out when we talk uh, about the One Piece live action. But like, if Ooh. you if you look at all the um uh like uh, cartoons that are being made by like Disney Channel all those like Cal Art cartoons they are so indebted to shonen anime and there's so many shonen anime tropes mm. uh that are like liberally lifted and infused uh that just feels like it's a ground swelling it's just in terms of like who's the first person who's going to figure out a way to like make it palatable to a mainstream audience but 
that's what I feel bubbling right now. Assuming that the actor strike and the writer strike uh, comes to good terms, because it's going to be interesting if we have like a whole dead period where there's just like no big mainstream movies or TV shows, just because uh, the actors and uh, writers are holding out. I think it's about to happen. Weird world we're about to live in. Um, and okay, another thing I want you to uh, bring up that I've been studying since. Uh, Something I've been studying about the conversation we're having about uh, entertainment lately is modernism versus what's now being called meta modernism. Uh, modernism uh, was best described as like when you look on the screen, everything on that screen is like happening to those characters. They are in that world, and what we are looking at looks like it's a real world. Star Wars looked like it was a real world. Indiana Jones and um, Raiders of Lost Ark that looked like a real world. Meta modernism is um, entertainment letting you know that they know it's a movie and it's this property. So, like, the new Star Wars movies aren't um, based on, like, you know, pulp space opera. It is based on the movie maker knowing that you know what the property of Star Wars is. And then now we got Indiana Jones. And uh, I, I actually would say that. Um, the Crystal Skull, meta modern, and uh, Dial of Destiny, modern. Because I didn't really feel too much winking at the camera hard. That see, this is Indiana Jones. You know that movie you like, as as opposed to it being older Indiana Jones, which we'll talk about later. But yeah, meta modernism is ruining a lot of what we love. I'd say both meta because there was quite a bit of winking at the screen in both. I mean, aside from Phoebe Waller Bridge's usual winking and fourth wall breaking, but um, yeah, I, I'd say there's both, mo- I'd have to disagree, that the, both met are modern, but alright, sorry, Steven, you are saying? Yeah. Oh, I was, I think meta-modern is killing the film industry. Yes. I, I don't know what they're thinking, it's like we're, film is simply storytelling, and an opportunity for escapism, and occasionally, I, Deadpool does a really good job of breaking the fourth wall. Um, outside of Deadpool, I can't think of any other franchise or movie that does that that has been successful. All right, then, yeah. How do we? How would we like? Okay, I guess. Um, general feelings, uh, MJ. What are your feelings about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? Um, wasn't the calamitous train wreck that everybody was afraid it was going to be when it was coming out, which was nice to see. Um, I've pretty much been a James Mangold fan for the longest time, and I thought he was an interesting choice to take over the reins from Spielberg. And at times, I did kind of miss the Spielberg touch to the movie, because it just kind of felt like they were careening from one action set piece and location to the next without really giving you a chance to give a damn about what they're doing or where they were. And, but overall, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was, you know, a roller coaster ride, just like any other Lucasfilm, Disney film of the last, oh, I don't know, 10 years. Um, the opening sequence where they were showing Indy on the, uh, in Nazi Germany and trying to save those artifacts, I thought that was a decent sequence. I kind of wish the de aging of, uh, Harrison Ford had taken me out of it as much as it did, but. I mean, I've seen deep fakes that are better than the aging that they did there, but um, that was alright. But overall, I mean, 
in the overall ranking, I'd, I'd still put it in like the bottom tier, like uh, almost dead heat with Crystal Skull and Temple of Doom. All right, uh, behind, uh, behind uh, Last Crusade and Raiders of the Lost Ark. All right, uh, Danelli, what are your feelings about uh, Style Destiny? Uh, it was better than my expectations, but I had set my expectations very low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wouldn't recommend seeing it in the theater. I wouldn't recommend it at all, and bless you're an Indiana <laughs> Jones fan. And, and then I would wait for a streaming service that you're already paying for. Like, oh. it's, <laughs> it's not bad. Right. But, and I have specific criticisms where I think it falls down, but I'll, I'll save that here shortly to touch right. on those. Uh, Isaac, where are your feelings? Uh, not half as bad as it could have been, but not half as good as it needed to be. Um, it, it's perfectly serviceable. It's watchable. It wasn't a catastrophe, but it was aggressively mid. Um, I think James Mangold is a very good director, but he was like not a good choice for indie. I think the moment where you have a shirtless Harris, 80-year-old Harrison Ford telling the kids to turn down the noise is just like kind of killing any of the magic and enthusiasm. <laughs> And sort of like a quiet deconstruction of the character is like not what you wanted to see, but I guess the only thing you could do uh, to like versus pretending that Harrison Ford isn't an 80 year old man. Um, Phoebe That's Waller- the Lucasfilm Miles Operando. We've got to have our <laughs> aging heroes beaten down and broken down and just be desperately pathetic so we can use that as a dramatic device for the remainder of the film. Although Indiana Jones' underwear was Harrison Ford's idea. <laughs> that, that well, he would, but <laughs> I'm just getting tired of the Jake Skywalkers. Agreed. Enough is enough already. But, like, Agreed. On some level, you can sort of like understand it. Like maybe, like if, you know, if, you, if what you're saying is pretty is close to accurate that Indiana Jones is Harrison Ford, then maybe it's okay that like the character starts to inhabit the curmudgeonness that Harrison Ford has become so famous for. Uh, right. But it d- d- does not. Served the movie well, and it was not used in like a very funny way. Um, I do believe all the rumors that this was like basically set up to be like the Phoebe Waller Bridges like backdoor pilot to set her up and like uh, you know in uh, what you call it uh, James Bondify Indiana Jones and the fact that she has right. her own like little short round. Although, god damn, was that kid just like? I don't know what they were thinking with the casting. Like, he's not cute enough to be adorable. He's in this awkward range where you're, like, half expecting him to, like, you know, be, like, hitting on uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridges or have some sort of weird romantic attachment because he's kind of like this teenager. He's just in this, like, really awkward spot. And I I guess, like, this film probably went into production before uh, he... uh, What's the name of Short Round? He, Hi, Quen? Am I saying it right? Oh, man. I don't know. I've never been able to pronounce it. Quan, uh, uh, yeah. He he Kwan. He Kwan, yeah. like uh, I, the slam dunk would have been to bring him yes. back and then <laughs> hand off the thing to him. Uh, I, people would have loved the yes. shit about that, and I, I think that would have given the film the history it needed. It needed. Um, you know, it's nice that the uh, freaking uh, what you call it? Uh, what's his name? Who plays Sala? Sala. Yes, they, they threw in Sala, but he's like such a non-presence, and, and like I, I think what put a sour taste and like was the the, the the end 
where um, what you call it? Uh, she punches them out. Somehow gets them through the portal and <laughs> tells Mary transport, and then tells Marion Ravenwood he's not such a bad guy. So somehow that reconciles their irreconcilable differences. The death of their son. So you could that had I, that, I'm positive that was really that was, like, like, that, that, that was very much oh, oh really, really quickly before we go into the details of the, the sh- uh, my feelings on the movie um my my feelings are that I grudgingly admit that it's better than Crystal Skull I want I went into this wearing my hater pants because I wanted the shit show I I I thought we were going to be laughing about I thought it was going to be horrible and it's kind of what I wanted because. Uh, Horrible things are fun to um, podcast about. They're very fun to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And then, but instead, I got, I thought, I I, I have to say, I thought I got a pretty good movie. Um, I got a pretty solid movie. Um, Phoebe Waller Bridge was not the obnoxious uh, Mary Sue that I thought they were going to push. You know, I I thought I was going to have fun making fun of her, but they, I I even found her character subdued, um, properly used, measured, used. Uh, there are only a few. There are a few parts that stuck out as like, ah, see, that's the bat I was looking for, and then they she were gone. She did flea bag it a couple times. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There were there, there were very few, but she did not completely take over the movie like I thought. Um, I thought it was solidly written, um, and yeah, like I, I thought it was uh pretty good. I, I guess like when I, but like when uh, Steve, when you mentioned, well, would I recommend it? That's different. Like, I guess, like you know, like I, I, my my expectations my expectations were low. I came in, I had a pretty good time, but I guess I, I there's at no point in time where I say, "Oh my god, everyone has to see this." I'll just be like, more like, if you see this, like, it's not going to be how the Last Jedi was for some, or it's not Rise of Skywalker. It's not a car crash of stupid. You're going to have a pretty good time. Just. You know, you don't have to go out of your way to see it. Like, it's not a movie I ever wanted. I wish they didn't do it, but that they did. It was not the horrible movie that a lot of my favorite YouTubers are pretending it is. It's only through the grace of James Mangold it was watchable. <laughs> yeah. Well, despite all the hands in the cookie jar, because you can tell the way that thing was edited and the flow of the story, and it's like, Jesus, because there were four screenwriters attached to this movie, including David laugh- Cop, including David Cap, who's a Long time script doctor. That, that Isaac, were you laughing about? Uh, I was going to say that, that is a of... very generous and nice thing, but nobody spends three hundred million dollars to make the ultimate oh ultimate TNT movie to watch at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Than like a Sunday afternoon, and they have to <laughs> the ultimate TNT Sunday movie. Wow! Oh my god! It was the librarian for any of you, Are any of you going to watch it again? No. Um, well, uh, like, I, I'm wondering, like, because uh, with commentary, maybe, um, but because I want to experience the story again, no, which yeah, sucks because I, I love it. I wouldn't watch it again either. I, it's interesting about the four screenwriters, because as I was thinking about this, I, for me, the Dial of Destiny, I, it's not bad. It's mediocre. As yeah. Isaac said, uh, it fails because it's got all these different stories put together. Um, the first 
I don't know, 20 minutes on the train, 1944, feels like an Indiana Jones film, um, kind of at the end of his career, and it wasn't bad. Uh, so, so you have this Indiana Jones adventure story going. That's one storyline. Um, then you have the drama between a husband and wife, a mother and father, whose son was killed in Vietnam. And it's driven a wedge in their relationship. That's a really enthralling story. Like, I want to see that. That could be really good. I, I think that's been done in film before. I don't think it has any place in an Indiana Jones film. <laughs> uh, then we have the, I'll, I'll call it, introduction of new characters. Um, I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a miscast. Um, She's a statuesque, uh, elegant woman. I I could see her as maybe some kind of femme, femme fatale, mm-hmm. but as a archaeologist, I, and it bothered me too. Like she's six foot, she towers over everyone. So there's the, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just I think she's miscast. But you have the storyline of. You've got the aging protagonist who wants to pass the reins on to the junior person. And bringing back short round would have been the way to do it. That would have just been mind-boggling awesome. And to your Um, point, uh, Stephen, um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge did co-create and write uh, Killing Eve. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that show, but she knows how to write femme fatales. Her TV shows are incredible. Yeah, I okay. love Killing Eve, and uh, to your point, Stephen, I would have loved to see her be the femme fatale or of this movie or any other movie because I think she, I think that'd be a good branch out for her because she's she's never really played a villainous character before. Yeah, yeah. That she's been in. She do. Back I there is a spot. Well, yeah. Um, the feet. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, can I add in something, or do you want to finish your thought? Yeah. Uh, oh no, please. I'll, I'll finish afterwards. Because uh, yeah, the Phoebe Waller Bridge is like super interesting. Because like you know, the chudiverse of like right leaning creators, like oh, she's the worst. She's the which I, I think is dumb. She's done like really acclaimed stuff. Fleabag is beloved. It's supposedly really, really well written. Uh, Killing Eve is beloved and well written. But it feels like she's got uh, because she's like the new it girl. She's being like kind of slammed into these franchises that aren't necessarily towards her acting strengths or writing strengths. Uh, mm-hmm. And like she, she would be better served just kind of like working on her own stuff or material that's like better suited for her. It, it feels like kind of like Brie Larson, where uh, you know people say she's a bad actress. Uh, you know she obviously isn't. She was in the room. She uh, gave a great performance there, but she, she's not exactly like a mainstream uh, action star or film star. And for the past three or four years, it's just been kind of like shoving her into this peg hole uh, to the resistance of, of the audience and uh, the general public um with Phoebe Waller I, I like I think when Kathy Kennedy sat down uh the intention was to make her the heir to the franchise but the movie I saw did not try to make her the next heir like everything I saw in there kept on making her be a character in this story not so much of like making us want more of her in her own adventures. And I almost feel like that had to be part of the reshoots. Cause like, like everything leading up to this was, it felt like, uh, like Kathleen Kennedy was, 
and like there's like the plan to she is the next Indiana Jones. This is gonna be amazing. Um, but the movie I kept on seeing, Indiana Jones kept on being the person who had agency. He was in charge. She had her moments as well, but as a supporting character that fit in the story, not the new rising character that would be taking on the story going forward. So I didn't think she was um, trying to take it over. It felt, yeah, I really felt like there was a, a concentrated effort to for us not to feel that way because I think that they knew everyone was getting very mad. They're like, Captain Kennedy is once again going to stomp out a character so she can rise up her new character. And it felt like the movie was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're actually just doing Indiana Jones with respect. So you're not going to watch the new Disney Plus series, The Adventures of Helena Shaw? Hell no, <laughs> which is not coming. But she apparently she's like the head of her own Tomb Raider TV series coming on Amazon. That'll yeah, be interesting. Before we talk about that, I have some thoughts. Please. Yeah, go ahead. Part of the reason I got into the game industry is because of Tomb Raider. Uh, but to finish um, my observations on Dial of Destiny. So mm-hmm. the fourth storyline that they have going is time travel. And going back and seeing history, experiencing history, and meeting Archimedes. Each one of these on its own, I think, is an excellent story, movie. But putting them all together into one film made it overly long. Um, not I, outside of the first 20 minutes. I didn't think it was very exciting. It was pretty boring. And it's visually i had a really hard time with like the multiple layers of just green screen like it it Uh, felt honestly too much like a video game when they stopped (laughs) and they were like walking around outside i was it was it was decent i was like oh thank goodness a breath of fresh air but uh, yeah i I don't watch quantum mania then (laughs) my recommendation for quantum media is put on some 80s heavy metal and just turn the sound off (laughs) i I like where you're going with that i like that i used to be pretty strong in my my stance of not worrying about bad special effects and i don't mind green screen i like my using imagination but this is the year that has finally been pushed for me to be like uh, okay maybe maybe it is being done too much and like, now I'm noticing it too much. Like, when Salas said, Give him hell, Indiana Jones! I was like, I can tell you're not there. Like, the the, 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 the picture behind him was green-screened. And I was like, okay, what? I should stop it, caring. I don't want to notice these. I, yeah. <laughs> this, these, I'm starting to notice. in the like, living room of his house with a green screen draped up. And just <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a one fun thing that I, I really loved about this movie... Uh, that yeah, I'll go as far as say I loved. It's just like this moment at the very end. Um, uh, Sala is making his exit, and like as he closes the door behind him, in my head I could hear Sala uh, singing because that's what he does. And then uh, in the movie he starts singing. And I was like, all right, all right, this is <laughs> that's how you do Indiana Jones. Like it was right. just like so strong in my head. There's like this silence, and then all of a sudden he actually starts singing with the Question song. There. For you guys, uh, yeah. When Miriam showed up at the end. Did you want to see more of her and see what was going on in their lives and what the relationship was? 
No, because it felt like so forced, and so I think you made a really astute point that like there are five different stories, and none of them really quite gel together. The Indiana Jones and his prime and his last caper, the the time travel story, uh, and then the like small scale story of like Indiana Jones versus like four, you know, one Nazi and three guys who are just working for him because they don't like America, <laughs> um, and, and like her their story together felt like. So so disjointed and to go against the fact that they had like a fractured marriage. Uh, I wasn't like particularly sold that I, I wanted to see this like, uh, you know, 80 year old romance and the, the callback to doesn't hurt. Uh, but I don't know. Did any of you guys have uh, different thoughts on that? I, I, um, I'll, I'm going to get over emotional here and say, I hated it. Um, because of the killing of mutt, like the Kathleen Kennedy thing of, wiping out heroes entire bloodlines is just <laughs> horrible to me like I, I i'm so fucking mad that they did this um i know people have problems shia labeouf and that his character wasn't liked um but i did enjoy that all right he's he's got his love of his life back he's got his son and that's that's beautiful um a director I never understood of, the mutt hate i still don't get it i mean i think it's i think it's shia labeouf Ah, uh, that's probably where a lot of it comes from. And then, like him, yeah, he's kind of crazy pants. I, I, I gotta finish. I gotta finish with Rick, though. All right. Um, so, a director of, of uh, Mission Impossible. Uh, he mentioned how there's an ending that um, where uh, Ethan loses like somebody important, like I forget who, but it takes you down to ninety, where your movie will never get backed up to one hundred. So. Like, you know, the the, re- the reveal that uh, Mutt is dead and, like, uh, Indiana Jones has to live with that anguish for the rest of his life. No matter what adventure he has now, it's always going to be at, like, 80 to me or 70. And, like, by the end of the movie, we get to see Marianne Ravenwood. That's beautiful. All right, yay, I'm back up to 80. But your movie never reaches 100 for me because you have to take that one big chunk just because, like, Metamodernism says that people don't like Mutt Williams and Shia LaBeouf. Ah, ah, maybe I can make the audience laugh by killing him. I'm like, it just kind of, yeah, like I said, that, that, that whole thing kind of ruined it for me. And then seeing her at the end was like, sorry, was like, fine, thank you. It's like taking a rose from an insincere apology. Like, all right, I'll, I'll take it. So it is a pre rose. <laughs> so that's how I feel about it. That's probably the best way I've heard that any described as an insincere uh, apology. <laughs> Steve, what'd you say? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, Steve. Uh, you dropped out just as you were making your comment, but uh, MJ, you're spot on. An insincere apology. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I think that does hit, hit it, and then it does feel like it's sincere. And, and I also think that, like, that's also an intrinsic trouble of like setting um, Indiana Jones in like different eras. Uh, you know, it's fun to see him punch Nazis. Nazis are like uh, World War Two is the great mythology story because it was one of the few um, mostly what two dimensional wars where you had like uh, good good guys. guys and the bad bad guys, and America was un 
ambiguously good unless you're like one of those super history nuts or, or ultra conspiracy conservative people who was like, ah, it was all just for money or oil, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, uh, but then when you get into like, you know, the Korean War, uh, the Cold War and Vietnam War, you, you kind of lose that sort of like sense of, uh, American exceptionalism to, uh, handed justice, uh, and throw, uh, a hero who wasn't necessarily meant to be in like those morally gray areas or conflicts or, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think you're, you were spot on when you said it, it brings it down to 80 or 90 and it, you're never getting to a hundred <laughs> after that, unless you're making a completely different movie, <laughs> you know, some indie filmmaker who just has like this, uh, uh, two hour Logan esque depressing movie where a hero reflects on the fact that they can punch the Nazis, but they couldn't save their family. Ugh. Yeah, Indiana Jones does not a feeling I come to Indiana Jones for, but like the meta modernism or meta part of it, where um, here is like Harrison Ford. Like, so all Indiana Jones fans want is more Indiana Jones, where Harrison Ford wants a goodbye letter from the perspective of his, of his life, which is why we're getting what we're getting. Like, it's more about like the people making it and like how they feel about their you know life with these properties over just telling us like we're only here for the story Harrison I love you man but I just want to see the bullwhip and and the uh, last minute escapes and some traps well I, yeah, I always I wonder he did it for the money <laughs> uh, he did it for the money 20 million dollar payout plus oh my yeah 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 I, yeah he he definitely did it for the money yeah isn't he already super rich? Does he really need it? Or I guess who could ever, who could turn out another $20 million? Uh, I always wondered, like, you know, if all the rumors were true about it being like a, a sleeper pilot for uh, Helena Shaw uh, to kind of take over, if like uh, Harrison Ford was like fine with that because of his politics, or if he would like had any say, or he, he didn't care, he just wanted the money and, and to like make him look good, and you, he'll, he'll go through the motions. I think it started out like that with Captain Candy. She definitely wanted that to happen. But as things are going, I have a very strong feeling that more and more was like, hey, 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 whoa, whoa. Stop making Indiana Jones look that bad. And please make it about Indiana Jones. Like, Harrison Ford is very protective. You guys know that Kathleen Kennedy is Harrison Ford's ex-wife, right? She's not. I'm positive she's not. I've been looking at a lot of history, and that's never come up once. Really? Yeah. Are oh, you positive? Kathleen, yeah, Kathleen Kennedy is Harrison Ford's ex-wife. I am yeah. I'm going to the Wikipedia's, but can you keep the discussion? Yeah. I will I will confirm or deny. Sounds good. Because right. like, yeah, I was like uh, I watched the history of like he had a wife during Star Wars. Um, oh, that was that her. Was, nope, nope. It was somebody else. She and they had two kids, and then he moved on to another wife. But no, I don't I- think. Maybe I'm wrong. My understanding is he used to be married to Kathleen Kennedy, and then he started seeing Allie McBeal, whoever nope. that actress was. Yeah, Clifford, who he is with now. But um, from what I'm seeing, I don't see any uh, Kathleen Kennedy in his like personal life. I, th- I, I yeah, thought Kathleen, yeah. she was always married to Frank Marshall. Yeah, yep, he still is. Oh, yep. Maybe I have it wrong. I'm positive that they're like um, basically family members, so like all the history of like I've seen of like coming up through through Star Wars and Indiana Jones, that click of like uh, Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy, Steven Spielberg, 
Lucas and Harrison Ford, like they are very family type. And there's like other people like in the Crystal Skull, apparently like there's like this generational team of like stunt people that have been working with Steven Spielberg, like three generations of people. Yeah, they're they're all big family there, which is why they they're not business enough. Which that, you don't want that too much begs business. The but, question: So, yeah. who's Harrison Ford's ex-wife? There's two of them, uh, two, and they neither of them are famous. I don't think. Okay. Yeah, because he he's oh. had multiple. I think he's got like five kids. Uh, what? Because like one was from his era when he was just like a carpenter. Yeah, uh, and then uh, I think there was some actress, and then eventually Cl- Clarissa Flockhart. Yeah. yeah if you guys are curious, uh, Harrison Ford's current net worth is three hundred million. So he's not hurting. No, let's call um, it three hundred and twenty. Speaking of three hundred million, <laughs> speaking of three hundred million, it had to be the reshoots. But that there's a gigantic, uh, legit creek. Critique against uh, Dial, of Dial of Destiny. That movie did not look like a three hundred dollar, three hundred million dollar movie. Um, they spent like four hundred million dollars making the entire trilogy of Lord of the Rings, and Fellowship of the Ring looks more expensive than Dial of Destiny. Like, man, they are just throwing money around. Yeah, yeah just for inflation, there, Keith. Uh, <laughs> I did, do, I, I did look that up, and like. Ah. It's still, uh, although, like, uh, I'm not quoting it right now, but I'll say, like, the comparison is still not that far off. Like, they spent fuck tons, and that did not, that looked like a, like, that movie looked like a, a it could have million been dollars. Yeah, I'll say $90 million. Dollars. It could have been yeah. 30 minutes shorter and probably cost about $100 million less. No. You would have saved a lot of money if you got rid of that eel gag. Because, uh, like, <laughs> there's, like, 40 minutes of the movie is just, like, they're running around like grease, and they're being chased by, like, four guys, right? Mm. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, know, he, one... Mads Mikkelsen goes rogue, and then he's only got, like, three guys working working with him. And to me, that just felt like such, like, an intimate and small movie. I was just like... <laughs> I ain't spending so much money unless they're like a billion reshoots yeah. that we haven't seen of like deleted scenes. I think the entire ending was redone. Like I said, like the, there's the, the feeling of it, of how uh, there was like some weirdness of how much there felt like snapping your fingers. Yeah, we got in this guy in this. Um, because like, uh, what was it? They, the, 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 the action happening on the plane felt strangely random and haphazard. Like, um, once they figure out that they're, in the wrong place, instead of like flying away from the battle, they keep swooping over it low enough to get hit by things and then start shooting back at it. And they're like, What are you guys doing at all? Like, <laughs> I did, did love you know it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did kind of love the ending just in like the red letter c- media sense and like th- this is so freaking bonkers of like <laughs> the Nazis are, are in the, the freaking like uh, this big Roman battle and, and for reasons that we don't know they're just like shooting at the warships <laughs> there's no advantage who are you trying to win who are you trying to beat it's why are you trying thing. to kill anyone there and then oh. the cut from oh you're 2000 years in the past dying on a hillside in the middle of this huge war to his lair. And, and now we're back in your bedroom. Yes. That, that was some straight up like, Oh shit, we fucked up. We got this much money. We got this much time. 
let's get this done. And yeah, that jump from uh, I'll say I, I'll say actually I will go as far as to say that I may I did love the ending sort of sort of like I love the um, part of going through time and seeing Indiana Jones face at, at experiencing time travel like after all the weirdness and wackiness and awesome things he's experienced like the final look of awe of him being in ancient Greece I love seeing that on Indiana Jones's face and like after all of his adventures he's earned it to see this and I can see why he would want to stay behind and then like um, uh, Waller punching him out would have normally been in a Kathleen Kennedy thing an eye rolling girl boss moment which would have annoyed me but like she didn't do it in a superior way like she seems to have learned something on her journey and she is doing it for his benefit and in a Pope adventure sense yes uh, another adventure can knock out another adventure in one bunch so and fortunately was she was the one paying attention in temporal mechanics that week yeah <laughs> don't yeah. stay back don't fuck up the timeline get back to the plane <laughs> let's go Oh, that's great. You're so depressed and so hurt that you want to stay in the past because you can't go back to the present where you have to deal with your shitty present, but you can't stay here. Although Get your they ass in the did plane. lay down that this is a you-can't-change-the-past time travel mechanic. Yeah, didn't, like, uh, leaving the giant airplane, the Nazi plane, like, ruin the have. somehow? <laughs> Should like, have, but it didn't. <laughs> but, uh, but the only thing it changed was, like, on Archimedes' ca- uh, casket, you saw a dragon with propellers, right? Yeah. So it did change. It 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 uh, it did affect the past, but you can't change the past. Is like the rules that they kind of showed by Archimedes having um, the Nazi watch. And aren't they lucky that Helena's sidekick was being taught how to fly a plane by some random drunk pilot in the club, <laughs> so that later on when they're at the airport and he had to take over a plane and follow the German warplane back through the rift. He hey, was there and they had a way back. Oh, if you have a shotgun on the wall, you have to use a shotgun. Hey, yeah. well, 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 all right. I, I, while we're in nitpicking mode, what was what was Mads Mikkelsen's plan? He was going to go back and uh. Hitler, but like, what what made him think that like <laughs> if he kills Hitler, that they would just like make him in charge of all the freaking Nazis? <laughs> like, wh- why did he think that he had the authority that he would just inherit Germany? Because they all watched The Last Jedi. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's how it works in Star Wars. So it must work like that in real. Anyway, yeah, yeah, you can't just you just can't just kill the bad guy and then everybody starts following you. That's not how it works. But also, yeah. that's another indication of a rewrite, a reshoot. Like, well, you uh, know, I'm going to be the all my all my had to, all Voller had to do was slick his hair over, put on the stupid mustache, and just starts shouting a lot. Nobody knows the difference. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that yeah. is a terrible, terrible plan. I'll just go back in time and kill Hitler and become Hitler, the new leader, because that's just how it. Yeah, that, that that seems like on set they're trying to figure out. Well, uh, how, how do how do we do this? How about this? All right, that works. Action. Does Mueller actually play at risk and realize that you don't try to attack Russia? what did you guys think of like uh mads mickelson's performance obviously he's a wonderful actor uh was he like missed cast because like one thing i thought was like kind of strange um was like when he's like talking to like the black bartender and he's like so you won Uh, but did you really win you are still you know just (laughs) implying you're a servant and it's like uh, oh okay this is a very interesting and complex idea to add but i i it doesn't feel like you're gonna explore 
gotten any sort of um, depth. So it just felt like really out of field for like uh, Indiana was, Jones. That, that was to show that Voller still had the Nazi ideals still deeply ingrained in them, even though they lost the war and need help the United States with developing their space program and getting America on the moon. He was still deep down a dirty piece of shit. See, um, because I'm mad at Disney, um, let's see, and how bad they are at using black characters. Like, they seem to use the black character, but also like, hey, just so you know, racist, um, we aren't being that good to them. Uh -uh." Like, because, like, it was out of, that, that, that scene didn't need to be. Like, what did we get out of seeing him be a racist? Like, we know you're a Nazi, we know you're a bad guy, but we need a couple moments just to see him put down a black guy and then get away with it? Uh, I was so confused about that. Like, I think he was implying that America was as bad as the Nazis, and somehow if the black guy joined him, he would, like, make a better world, because he's he's Hitler, but it never, like, clarifies if he has the same beliefs, because he's like, uh, you know, oh, Hitler could have ruled the world if we just got rid of the genocide part and didn't attack Russia. Uh, So I was very confused about, like, was he supposed to be, like, an evil, not like, a a more effective Nazi or a racist Nazi? Because he worked with black people and it didn't seem to like look at them lower until they would like get in his way and he seemed to like be implied with like you still got fucked over you should have come with me so <laughs> I, I was like kind of like wondering what was the morality of him like the the, the, the that part and writing. then also making a very good looking black woman uh character in an indiana jones world like everything about her caricature like the the jacket the glasses she was a cartoon, fully drawn hero that could have been her own adventurer in her own stories. But we kill her. Ah, we kill her. Uh, thanks, Disney. You're very, very good with your representation. But wonderfully regressive. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just hated that one. They keep doing that where they like you know they put her on like some posters like see see you know we're inclusive. Don't don't forget to kill her though. Don't forget to kill her. Like, Thanks, Disney. Yes, that was to sort of reinforce that he's the villain, because, like, she was kind of, it was really weird, because, like, technically he was working for the American government, so it's like the American government's trying to get Indiana Jones, because, like, in that whole, like, uh, parade chase scene, weren't there, like, multiple factions that were coming after Indiana Jones, or was it just, like, the CIA slash Voler in disguise? I thought it was just the CIA slash Voler. All right, yeah, you you were right. I think you were right. And then also uh, on that part, that's my that's my one other part where I'm like, that was horrible that Phoebe did uh, or Helena that like um, it was I think it's a mistake in writing, uh, but that just kind of makes her irredeemable to me, which was uh, just before that chase took place. She locked him out of escape and like the people coming for her, it looked like she should know that these people are using lethal means. And she locked him out behind to die, it looked like. Like, to potentially die. It didn't seem like, you know, there was enough that said, don't worry, these people are on the up and up. They'll just take him away. Um, there's a guy who had his gun drawn. So, like, yeah, weird moment that they would do for someone that's supposed to be, like, a teammate to Indy, which is lock him away to die. It's well, just that, suffers that was quite a like bit from poor writing. You know, sorry, I, Steven, say it again? I, the movie suffers quite a bit from poor writing and character development. 
and it has a level of meanness. Like it's the only film where p- innocent people get murdered. Yeah. And not I only do they get murdered, the camera focuses on them and shows them multiple times that yes, innocent people have died here. Yeah, a, that's a mangoldism. He's it, I rewatched Logan the night after I saw Dial of Destiny and I forgot how freaking brutal that movie is. But yeah, when that, Logan comes across a black family and they all get slaughtered. Yeah, but the, um, I, I noticed that in uh, Logan, too, as Mangle just kind of lingers on the victims as they're going down. It's like, okay, we get it. They're dying. They're dead, man. Let's okay, keep going. Keep going. Yeah, I, not that, something that is, that is appropriate for an Indiana Jones film or pulp storytelling in general. Agreed. I, I, I figured I, I sort of I wouldn't say accepted, but I was like, oh, well, I guess I guess they are bad guys, so... Yeah, if, if that doesn't happen in Indiana Jones movies, then that's what felt off, then. Because I was like, why do I feel worse about this? Well, it was kind of like... Uh, yeah, you're right, that was totally a James Mangold touch, where he was like trying to add that, like, you know... Born supremacy, Jason Bourne grittiness to it. Uh, that, like, you know, there are real stakes here. People are getting shot. You know, these guys mean serious fucking business, which uh, it isn't quite the Indiana Jones. I mean, Indiana Jones can be a little bit cruel, like, uh, you know, the infamous heart ripping scene. Um, but, um, you know, it's for their their, their ritual. It's, it's part of their evil demonic purpose versus, like, you know, uh, just su- shooting a random civilian or an agent in the back, which uh, feels like it's uh, kind of like um, postmodern spy thriller uh, more so than pulp adventure. Agreed. Agreed. It, it's one of the things, it's one of the many things that makes the movie not as strong as it could have been. And it's it's all over the place, I guess you could say. I wonder, could it and have been strong? Two and a half hours long. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I think so. I, I think the first place you start is you go back and you look at what made Raiders so good and the inspiration, and it's pulp. Uh, the story that they told started in 1944. If they had kept it in 1944... Uh, it would have been much more effective. You could have told the same story with the characters. Just recast Helena. Because, like, her dad's, what, five foot tall? Yeah. Yeah, it made no I, sense. I did love but, that opening, though. Like, uh, I'm, I'll say that's a point yeah. where the um, special effects and deepfake didn't bother me. I was like, this just feels like the Indiana Jones that would have been the best um, finale that we've always wanted. Like the ending of the World War and like seeing Indiana Jones play a part in it and having to deal with the Lance of Longinus. Like, that sounds like the final Indiana Jones movie, but yeah. it wasn't. Oh, real quick. Yeah. All they um, needed is one more hour. Basil. Ba- Basil. Um, he shoots at Indy. Does Indy catch the bullet? It didn't it look like Indy caught it. Yeah. That's why I was kind of confused. <laughs> I've seen that shot so many times through so many, so many reviews and, and trailers. And I can't see those visuals working out any other way. Because, like, the implication is, like, he got hit or nicked. But I don't see the bullet hit anywhere except for a quickly snapping up fist as if it's catching something. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, yep. Yeah, I thought he you know, just on top of the train and, t- t- and uh, Basil accidentally shoots him. And Basil's like, no, sorry. 
Okay, so Isaac and Steven, did you see that too? They did he catch it? I didn't think I, he caught it. I thought he I just remember. Like, I, hand went to the arm. Like you shot me. Yeah, his hand didn't go up to an arm though. It, it just came up as a fist that you made. The film, the film is very forgettable. <laughs> I'm just saying that that was a weird <laughs> moment. And yeah, it continue reads as if like no one's like blinking that uh, Indiana Jones just caught a bullet. Uh, another unpopular idea sprang, uh, coming from that opening sequence, Dial of Destiny, um, and I proposed this in a couple of my other film groups and was summarily shot down. I, I said before that I wasn't a terribly big fan of the de-aging of uh, Ford in the beginning of the movie. I still think they should have gone with Sean Patrick Flannery and had him play the younger Indy God. in the opening sequence. And like, see? We remembered he was in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, and he's just about the right age now. Everybody loves him in Boondock Saints. Bring him they back. Needed, I, would be, geek, I would have been geeking out if they brought Sean Patrick Flannery back to play younger Indy for that opening part. Worldwide, with 14 people him. would have cheered so loud, and everybody else would have been just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, well, fuck them, people. I would have been <laughs> Dude, I'm not kidding. Like, oh my, I, I would love that so much. Oh my god. But like, yeah, everyone else in the theater would have been like, what the fuck's going on? Who's this, this guy? guy? Well, they were fine with River Phoenix playing 12-year-old Andy at the beginning of Last Crusade. Why not Sean Patrick Flannery, more age-appropriate and previously part of the Indy franchise, yes, have him play please. younger Andy for the opening part and then go to destitute, broken-down Harrison Ford after that? <laughs> that I love I, I would skip that. I think ultimately what they should have done for the last two films is recast the character. Mm. As you said, James Bondified him. Um, and Indiana then, Jones speaks to 1930s pulp adventure with a bit of history and a bit of mysticism. And it uh, pulps came out at a time that became very popular during the Great Depression. Escapism, simple stories, um, inspiration for someone who's going against the odds, but somehow, some way will win. And that was very important to the country as a whole in the early 30s. Going but back then, to that, I think, is where they'll find their success. I think then you have then Indiana Jones finding out that he's not, or Harrison Ford finding out that he's not invited to the next Dungeons & Dragons session. And yeah. So, what the hell, guys? We made this right. game together. I, I don't go to see Harrison Ford. I go to see Indiana Jones. Word. Amen. But yeah, I think the, the movie-making experience um, that we we don't see that cannot be left out is the personal experience of this is, for them, yeah, it's Harrison Ford. Like, it's a family reunion. Yeah, um, I get it. I, I think... Ultimately, they're going to lose money, and until Hollywood gets back to actually just taking a good story and making a film out of it, uh, they're going to continue to suffer. I think that they should make. I guess I think yeah, I, 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 since since it's over and done, they should make their own Indiana Jones. Like we, sh they should finally make a Doc Savage movie, and then, um recast it but i think like the problem that well yeah. uh can, can i throw a little bone into that Please. hey keith how did you enjoy the uh, uncharted movie <laughs> exactly <laughs> i was about to go there next 
<laughs> like where where it seems like um like like genuine creation is different than a corporation saying we want to have this property go make it. So it has a lot of people driving the decision making. I. I think some people see that it's super easy and can deliver fantastic entertainment and mm-hmm. other people, I don't know what they get caught up in, but they miss just the fundamental of we need to tell a good story for the audience. Cause like when, whenever it's like a, a corporate mandate where like someone says, uh, we need an Ant-Man movie here and it's quantum stuff and junk. Now make it. Then yeah. that doesn't get be that 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 doesn't make money and it's not that good. But if you have like a guy named like James Gunn, where they're like, "Hey, James Gunn, follow your deepest, uh, most personal inspirations and love, and make a movie," and then you get Guardians Three, and it does make lots of money. Like, I think like lack of genuine source of creation is like being noticed. Yes, I mean the lack of generally giving a shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> from the start. Oh God. Uh, well, well, speaking of like Hollywood's kind of like overinflation implosion, uh, a little bit off topic, but still on topic. Um, I, I just saw this now. How, how much would you um, guess Secret Invasion cost? Uh, oh. Per episode? Well, in total, for like the six episodes. Uh, six episodes. Entire- I'd go as far as say eight to ten million. Uh, eight to ten million per an episode. Uh, per episode, I would say uh, one to two million. I'd say ninety mil. <laughs> I'd say ninety mil for the whole series. The, the, I, those are really good and accurate estimates for what's on screen. Yes. Uh, apparently, in Forbes, Disney shells out two hundred twelve million on Marvel's <laughs> Secret Invasion. Where? <laughs> oh my Where? fucking god! What? <laughs> No way! That uh, no, no. two hundred. <laughs> Where's this money going? We because oh my god, oh my god, two hundred million for that. Is it going to the actors? Are they getting a really good payday? No doubt. That's, that's the only on the screen. That's like, thirty. That's thirty-five million dollars per episode. That's more expensive than House of the Dragon. There's like episode. there's so many episodes where all they're doing is sitting in living rooms and talking to each other. <laughs> well, that does. Well, that actually bring it back into the larger conversation. That does seem to be a Disney economics when it comes to uh, anything lately. I mean, Dial of Destiny, three hundred dollars because we fucked up too much. Solo, how much? How much they? on that almost three hundred dollar three hundred million as well it's from Roll Reshoots. It was like Do you guys think someone is cooking the books and Sorry, laundering again, the money? Steven? Do you think someone is cooking the books and just laundering the money? <laughs> is that I, what I Disney is doing? I, I literally two hundred million for a episode T V show. Yeah. I, I, wow. I was actually I was I was actually wondering about that. I was like, um what if the reason these are so expensive is like over time, they keep on building their uh, their assets and, and like um, their company, their employees, and whatnot. And then, like, you get to the next movie, and like, you know, companies are always supposed to be moving toward growth. And they can't say, "All right, we're making this next movie. I'm firing half of you because we just don't need that much." Instead of 
Oh shit, we have all these people. Guess we better use all these people. Is that it? Uh, maybe they're filming it on like with their phones. Just hey, <laughs> Sam, we're gonna have another conversation in your living room. Put the costume on. Okay, oh good. We're God. gonna film this. <laughs> Here's an extra two mil. Thank you. I Got yeah, I, I'm. So, I love so that we're taking Disney to the laundry. <laughs> I love it that the article says the exact same things you did. Like, uh, why does it cost so much? It's just people in rooms. They're just shooting behind cars. Yes. <laughs> this is, it's an episode 24. Ah, wasn't 24 done on the cheap as well? Uh, okay. That, 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 that was, that was a shock. And then, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, I think there's, they're, they're spending too much. Maybe they just, they have too many, employees and assets that they feel that they have to use them every single time and all of them and it just comes out to being i don't know and then you have like things like the spy everything everywhere all once which is made for like i don't know 20 million or then spider-verse which is like 100 million are you are you just Mm -hmm. like like the right people just not getting this money like like one thing i think hollywood desperately needs to do or all these streaming services they need to have like a little filmmaker kitty park where it's like you go here you only get five million dollars and if you has the producer project that reduces that it gets X threshold, then you get to the fifty million dollar yes. area and, and so on. Yeah, that there needs to be an enforced um, structure of okay, we're doing twenty million dollar movie. Do your best with it. We'll go from there. All right, we're doing one hundred million dollars. All you get work from there instead of this like um, we'll probably just spend two hundred fifty million base. Do whatever you can. If you need more, let me know. <laughs> well, why do you think they brought Bob Iger back in and he's stomping around like the cranky old man he is? And I'm 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 surprised that uh, he hasn't told Kathleen Kennedy to shove off after the whole box office disaster of this movie, Dial of I, Destiny. I do wonder if like does she know where the bodies are? Like other people, like for the DC universe, like people who fuck up, they get like. They get the one. They get like one chance to fuck up, and then they're fired and replaced. Whereas Kevin Kennedy has been just there's there's nothing left from Lucasfilm, and still like has a job. Yeah. See, there's an interesting question. Can you guys name anything else that Lucasfilm has done since Disney bought them that doesn't involve Star Wars, Willow, or Indiana Jones? Can you name anything else that they've produced or created? Outside of those three IPs, aren't those the only IPs? It's just been them, right? That, that's a big. That's my biggest There's... problem with the Lucas film under Kathleen Kennedy is they're just wanting to beat dead horses. They're not trying to create anything else. Well, did, didn't they? Weren't they about to do that like blood and bone, yes. that African like fantasy thing, which I, I think is never going to happen it, at this point. But I, I know that was like one of their original development projects. They did try to, um, and like. Yeah, things just eventually just came untethered and fell apart. And in that era, where Kathleen Kennedy was focusing on that, Mandalorian rose up and was awesome! And then when that uh, thing fell apart, all of a sudden, it seemed like Kathleen Kennedy had more free time to work on Star Wars again, and we got season three of Mandalorian. 
it's still so funny how like Mandalorian could have been like a big turning point for all of this. Yep. Like, um, like tell like very simple stories using uh, all the devices of modern technology to give them a little bit more sheen than what you'd get. But essentially, this is like a more expensive, better version of um, you know, Xena Warrior Princess Hercules: The Legendary Journey. Um, but instead, just kind of became like adding more and more spectacle to the Mandalorian, creating this inter connected uh freaking uh mcu universe and uh just kind of bottoming out uh in terms of like just trying to do too much with too little and not being uh able to let go because like i I feel like that should have been like a a really good lesson that all the like marvel shows could have taken uh, a a page from they were not about learning lessons not until it seems like now we're like finally things are tanking uh, ratings are bottoming out and yeah, it's only happening like as we speak right now that like so many things have come to a car crashing end. So now we get to see what do they do to learn. Fingers crossed. It is interesting that at this point of history, Indiana Jones feels like it's like the the candle on this collapsing system of streaming and uh, you know Hollywood that's about to implode on itself. Um, here's my theory. Um, I think that like one of the reasons why, well, I mean, the the network, the studios are always greedy. I'm sure you guys heard about that thing where they like, you know, want extras to sign over their body rights forever. So they only have to pay them for one day and all this like sleazy shit. Um, but, uh, by the same token, um, I, I, my, I think that the streaming was never really, uh, the, the economy to support the streaming system was never really built out and subscriptions can only get you so far to like for the forever infinite content buffet, mm-hmm. which is, has more misses than hits. What I think really needs to happen is I think it's just going to go back to the old way. Um, well, if you want to fix everything and at least create some new comparable system, I think every streaming service needs to have like, uh, you know the Netflix uh, channel, um, the Disney Plus channel, the uh, Peacock channel, channel, the Paramount Plus, and basically what that is is that's a free tier where um, you you can't watch the programs or except for maybe like a few, and it's all ad ad supported. And basically, I hear Peacock kind of does this supposedly, where you can like go onto channels and basically watch a live stream with commercials interspersed, and it functions like regular television. And, and that way, you can have like more consistent. Nielsen ratings in terms of who's watching what you can have probably better ad revenue because I, I learned something really interesting uh, like uh, recently I was looking into it uh, h- how much do you th- money do you think Netflix has earned um, from their ad supported model uh, just from like advertisements uh, no clue on this one I have no I, I, I don't study this enough to even guess and oh, I do well, mean just, like per year per month uh, yeah per year Fuck, man. Uh, all, all, all three of you, uh, just throw out some numbers. If what, what do you think? How much do you think those uh, Netflix ads are worth? I'm going to go with a hundred million. Oh, uh, actually, ninety nine million. million. I don't want to go over ninety nine million. Three hundred okay. million. I feel like I'm on the prices right. Um, <laughs> One dollar. <laughs> One million dollars. No, uh, seriously. Um, ah, sh- shit, three hundred million. Those are all really, really good guesses. You're all like closer than you you'd think. It's five hundred million. You know that's nice, but that's not enough to like pay residuals to everyone on Netflix who's right. on like a TV show. And like they, they expect it could grow to like uh, four billion uh, in two thousand thirty. Hmm. <laughs> What's so, a long well, game? There you go. Wow. Yeah. 
and, and like who, nobody wants to pay money for a subscription service to be served with ads. We tolerate it in television because that's the intrinsic ad bar- bargain that you make when you turn on a television. I'm going to watch this for free, but I'm also going to be subjected to ads every eight minutes. That is the contract unless I want to pay more for an exclusive service like HBO where they just advertise for their own crap. Uh, I- that is the bargain people are willing to make, but nobody wants, like, I mean, a few people do, but I think most people don't want to subscribe to Hulu for six ninety nine just to be served ads or Netflix. Um, but if you had like a free service um, that's available to everyone, and then you could go to Netflix Action. Oh, Stranger Things is playing. Oh, there's chat. Oh, uh, uh, send a Netflix style super chat uh, to, to say something cool to the chat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could build an infrastructure to like kind of like build the sort of residual model that uh, actors and writers enjoyed in the old network system. But like the current thing, it's just sort of like you get your big payday and get out of here, kid. You thought it was nice when you could be like one of those Seinfeld actors and get your residual checks forever? <laughs> no, not in the streaming era. Uh, Do you I, think I, it I would be thinking- better if we just went back to cable and TV? I was think uh, both of you guys. I, I was thinking. I've been wondering about this because, like, uh, Matt Damon was the one who who cracked that code. He was like, the reason why like things going really bad lately is because of the loss of DVD sales and the rise of streaming. Where like once by a time you'd make a movie, and even if it didn't make back like all of its money in its initial run, they always knew they were going to make the rest of it through DVD sales, and everybody was cool. And now that they don't have that, then holy shit, things are going wrong and now, like, writers and actors want more money from their streaming. When things are streamed, there's no ads on them. So there's where's the extra money supposed to come from? Um, so, yeah, I was thinking, like, is, is there a world in the future where we get rid of streaming? Um, I say we just go back to DVD or Blu-ray. <laughs> it's probably I, Blu-ray. I almost kind of want that. Like, well, the, the quality of shows... Yeah. You kind of have to go back to DVD if you don't want the random services to lose the licensing for your favorite movie, and then it disappears for God knows how long until some other platform picks it up. That's the most frustrating thing about streaming as far as uh, consumer availability at this point, aside from the proliferation of ads because they're desperate to make some revenue at some point. And with streaming, they can also go in there and edit it without you knowing. I saw a video recently about uh, the Criterion Collection edited the french connection dvds are becoming like the new vinyl like originally i kind of scoffed at people it's like what are you gonna just doing you're never gonna watch any of those movies but now it's like you know everyone with a big dvd collection is like a film historian preserving their legacy from the uh you know people who want to edit it or cancel it or remove episodes It, it seems like physical media is the only respite for this like new digital hell where originally like the bargain was like you know oh it'll be up in there forever i can only always watch it on netflix and now we're like more and more series are just being like canned forever so you can get tax write-offs which to me just feels like a huge like betrayal of the, the all-you-can-eat buffet uh you know bargain that we we thought we had with all these streaming services agreed um, um i think some kind of hard media is the best way to go buy the books you like buy the movies you like buy the music you like what well, i mean like can the world go back to that? Like, I can't imagine the world being okay with letting go of the convenience of streaming. Like, it's, it seems like 
uh, a genie you cannot put back in the bottle. Yeah, yeah I, don't it's, I don't think you can do away with streaming entirely, but like Isaac was pointing out, the entire economic model desperately needs to be redone and restructured, otherwise this train wreck is just going to keep perpetuating. I was even seeing some articles uh, this morning saying that the uh, writers and actors' strikes, the whatever they decide in those labor deals, is probably going to help go a long way towards determining what the streaming model is going forward. Well, I could tell you the studios are absolutely looking at AI. I'm sure they've got AI writing new movies, continuing new series, and they're looking at contracts to figure out how they can just generate actors and just use them going forward. Uh, This morning, uh, just don't want to get too far off topic here. Uh, This morning I saw an article where um, Indian News Channel uh, is starting to use an AI uh, news anchor. I saw. Wait, so wow. is, is that like is that like a kind of similar to a VTuber, or is it like a like does it look like a person? A person. Oh, that's creepy. Full, fully animated, fully autonomous uh, TV anchor, and yeah, apparently that there are more and more outlets over on that side of the Pacific Ocean are going to start moving to that. Wow, that's going to be something to see. Uh, um, you're right. I, I, I think we are totally getting off topic. Let's let's yes. go back to Indiana Jones. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, like uh, another indication of reshoots, I think was how uh, I call him. I call him the Tank Man, the man who's built like a tank. Um, his just anticlimactic ending. Oh, <laughs> was like kid, your kid just handcuffs him to the grate, and uh, and you don't get to see him die. Just like, and he's done. All right, we got him. Like, oh, that was, that was super easy, barely inconvenience. <laughs> like, huh. Yeah, yeah. I, that, that guy was, was disappointing. Huge. And he hit Indiana Jones twice, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Because every time I saw him punch him, I'd be like, you would be breaking that little man into multiple pieces. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That guy, linebackers look at that guy and they're like, wow, you're a big dude. Yes. And outsmarted and killed by young by little, a little child. boy. A little boy. Well, that was always the signature of Indiana Jones having like the signature heavy bad guy that he faces yep. off. The guy who's like uh, built like a brick house. I-, I thought it was anticlimactic to like he just locks him, and I also thought it was like surprisingly terrifying and brutal. Yep. It was like that's a- <laughs> that, 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 that's like a terrible way to die. You're just stuck, and all you can do is just drown as you like try and rip your arm off. Yep. Hey, kid, how do you feel about you just killing a man? You good? Oh, you're fine. All right, keep it going. Well, that's when we go back to being James Mangold movie. Hey, random murder. Woo-hoo! Which is it's fine for like all of his other stuff. Uh, well, it's weird because like uh, what you want. Red Lighter Media had a really good observation when they did their Plinkett review of uh, Crystal mm-hmm. Skull that like Indiana Jones murders people. That, that is what he does. It is intrinsic to his uh, core character. Um, that, that, that we and we love to see it because they're all bad guys and it's a pulp adventure and bad guys are dispensable. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess the, like the deaths here uh, felt a little bit more like less dying in a pulp fiction or a pulp 
whole scenario where like both sides have kind of like uh, have this unconscious agreement that they're they're in this world uh, versus people who are just like you know kind of random civilians and they get shot uh, as like casualties of war. Mm. Uh, maybe that's the, uh, the the tone that like kind of separates it. Yeah. Well, 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 and, uh, and that's definitely the vibe I got, and I didn't like it. I was like, this is completely out of place for this film. It's taking out innocent people. Oh, one thing I'm kind of curious like, of wars, you said it's like no bueno. Yeah, <laughs> like if Indiana Jones was um, uh, uh, James Bondified, would uh, Chris Pratt be heresy, or would he be right on the money? <laughs> I think he, in uh, a normal world, he'd be right on the money. In a world that you talked about in your video about everybody hates Chris Pratt, it would be uh, heresy and suicide. Because now <laughs> we're all supposed to hate him for reasons. But Why he are we is hating really him? Good I, I think he's ten years old too now. Two, ten years old. Two oh, yeah. old. Ten years too old now. Wow, that was hard to get out. <laughs> uh, ten years ago, I would have absolutely cast him as Indiana Jones and would be two films in on a new trilogy. Uh, now, I think we got to find someone, or Hollywood needs to find someone in their early 30s. Oh, wow. You're right. I didn't realize he was 44 years old. Um, yeah, he is kind of like put on some mileage, but uh, you're right. Like late 20s, thir- early 30s is like the sweet spot for Indiana Jones. And just out of curiosity, did any of you guys ever see the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular? And uh, I forget it was at Universal Studios or uh, Disney World. Did not, no, but recently it. rode the Disneyland Park ride. Um, I, oh. I just remember seeing it when I was a little kid and getting a kick out of it, like seeing him. Uh, the, well, I always find those like stunt spectacular things like really interesting, where they just have like these like little stage shows, but they're, they're all filled with like all these like uh, kind of like stunts, and then they have like the uh, what you call stuntmen come out after it to like uh, kind of like uh, walk you through it and say, ah, oh, this is how we do it in the business. Oh, and I think the Indiana Jones it sounds uh, like a lot of fun. Jones Stunt Spectacular. I think it still runs to this day. I could be wrong, but I know it's like one of those attractions that they had for like 30 years. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, I wish I'd seen it. Um, I probably will try to next time I'm near a Universal Studio, which, yeah, I guess I've just never seen because I went to my Universal Studios not too long ago, and I don't think I saw anything for it. it uh, is it in, only in Florida or is it in California? I'd only be in Florida. Uh, I'd have to double check for uh, you. Uh, but I, I just thought it was like an interesting. Oh, it's all right. It's, all right, it's only at Walt Disney World. Um, oh, oh God. It. it opened in 1989. Still going? Um, but like, uh, it's funny. Like, uh, to add like a little bit of a. Um, I, I'm reading this book called Disney Wars. I've talked about it before. And, like, um, uh, you know who one of the big producers or executives who greenlit the first Indiana Jones and, like, kind of started his career? Uh, it was My- uh, Michael Eisner. All right. That was uh, the guy who greenlit it? Yeah. Uh, he was, like, the producer of Paramount. Uh, well, you know, Michael Eisner was, the, the like, the greatest, yeah. you know, the infamous head of Disney, one of the most controversial and most influential uh, company presidents of all time, constantly mocked, uh, led to its downfall, but also its, like, greatest success. Uh, and, and, like, mm-hmm. it, when he was at Paramount, he wrote this letter saying that, like, um, 
films, uh, you know, we're, we're just doing much bloat. We're paying actors too much. We got to get back to the basics, doubles and triples. We got to make competent films. That's why Indiana Jones hit. We didn't go over budget. We didn't spend uh, exorbitant amounts to vain movie stars. Uh, and it's kind of funny to see that, like, all these warning shots of what made the first Indiana Jones uh, were, like, completely disregarded for the final one. And I, I think it's a lesson for people to learn, you know, to return to pulp, return to spectacle, return to grounded, uh, uh, cheap filmmaking. Like, uh, I hear there's that movie that's supposed to be really good, Sisu, where, like, the, the, the Norwegian guy kills a bunch of Nazis. And it's it feels, brilliant. It, it, Absolutely brilliant. Highly recommended. All right. It's like it, it, it's not often you can see a movie where a guy throws a landmine at a Nazi and just nukes him. <laughs> Ooh. So, so All right. I'm sure three. that like Sisu was not was made for like ten million dollars or five million dollars. Well, let, let, let's figure. Let's get back to that. Let's get back to basics. Let's let's let India. Let, that would be amazing. Uh, Harrison Ford's probably never going to do it again. But six million dollars. Yeah, can you imagine like <laughs> the the ten or twenty million dollar Indiana Jones movie? Uh, I wish. I bet it would. Like yeah, forcing be into limits might make yeah. for better movies. I, Star Wars was six million dollars, and the big takeaway for George Lucas was I had to make a good movie, and I didn't have very much money. So I, a big part of the decision making process was to cut anything that was extravagant, and it made a great film. It's like when directors. Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings. The plan was to only do two films, and it wasn't until the first film came out that they said, "Yeah, we should probably do three films." It's. I was. I've been meaning to think like the 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 secret sauce is sincerity. Like if, yeah. if the creation comes from like a truly like burning need to uh, create this vision, then you get something good. But if it's like the latest in a corporate line of things. More and more people are like just checking out. Like, well, the only thing that makes me wonder about like that theory is that Super Mario Brothers, the movie, totally just dominated. Um, I, 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 that felt corporate. It was really well done, but I, I, I have a hard time believing that was a burning need of someone's like just super desire to finally make the ultimate Super Mario Brothers movie. That was just a big nostalgia trap. Yeah, and so that's what apparently what they're banking on this year is just nostalgia traps. I mean. Two weeks in a row. I mean, they we, we saw the Flash come out, and they you know that was the big return of Michael Keaton, and that was God. basically what they were banking on was everybody was going to actually go see that because oh, it's Michael Keaton back as Batman for the first time since '92, and then Dial of Destiny. It's Harrison Ford. He's back as Andy again. Come all ye people, give us your money. And both movies are suffering hor- suffering horribly. It's the double edged sword of nostalgia. Yeah, I I don't understand their thinking. Like, if they're in the business to make money, they're not doing a very good job of it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Actually, like, are we even any other things to talk about with Indiana Jones? I think we're kind of wrapping it up. We wind uh, down? Uh, maybe give them, like, final thoughts. All right, yeah. Um. Before we go to the final thoughts, um, does anyone else have, like, a note or a, a part of the movie that 
they want to pick apart, explore. Uh, yeah, one, one little thing I for, almost forgot to talk about. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting, and maybe a little bit to the disjointedness, I feel like they never really settled on what they wanted the Helena Shaw character to be. She's kind of like right. a con woman. She's kind of an adventure girl. Uh, you know, not quite, not a love interest, not quite like a femme fatale. Uh, and I feel like that was kind of like one of the things that they didn't quite like uh, figure out what she was. I'm sure that a lot of that is like to all the reshoots, but like originally yes. she's like an adventurer, but then she's oh she's a con woman. She she's kind of a scoundrel. Uh, but it, it didn't really feel like a natural arc. Just more like <laughs> throwing five things. I thought that was like one observation that the critical drinker made in his uh, coverage about it. Uh, that I, I thought was kind of like right on the money. That wasn't quite sure like what she, role she was supposed to fill. Uh, and that like uh, you know Phoebe Waller Bridges. You know I don't think he, she was as bad as he or anyone else claimed, but it did feel like she did not like find what her purpose was. In, I, didn't I, she I, have like a ex-husband or a fiance that she jilted and he was some kind of mafioso or something? Well, yes, yeah, yeah, he was chasing her through the streets of Tangier while they were in the tuk-tuk and yeah. 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 Oh, how does that help the story? Uh, anyway? That was the whole Warner Brothers cartoonish part of that whole chase. Is come back here, my love. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I really do think there was like the initial push that she would be Indiana Jones replacement, but like all the fan rage of just getting sick of seeing that. I, I, it's like it's like the, there seems to be a lot lost about her. Like she's very, she doesn't seem like a, a person that. Uh, would have movies made about her anymore, but it seems like that was her original intention. What I saw. Well, uh, one other thing that it, like I. One thing I also think is kind of interesting that's been like tried to push for a long time but never seems to like click is to kind of like build like the female action hero who has all the same traits as the male action hero. One of the you know defined traits is like you know the male heroes get to sleep around because that's the male fantasy. Yeah. You get to sleep with a lot of women, and uh, you know kind of try, I saw that you too. Know, the, the woman gets to sleep around. Ooh, she's sexually vivacious, and I, I, I don't know. I've never seen anyone being able to like successfully sell. And I, I guess it's like the sexist tendency that like nobody's people have tried really, really hard. But like, you know, this isn't true in all cases, but it always sort of feels like, uh, you know, men could pursue as many women as they want, but they can't choose who they're successful with. While women uh, can't choose who pursues them, but they can choose which people are, are successful for them, which I guess is a, a little bit of like a edgy 4chan take. But it, it does feel like this like sentiment. It's- it's like so ingrained in our culture and like people like try to fight fight against it. Like there's this one woman who had this, like, you know, I'm getting rid of the stigma about women who sleep around. So I'm going to do this podcast where every time I sleep with a guy, I'm going to bring him and I'm going to do a podcast session with him. But, but like, it never seems to like work or like get rid of that stigma or, or like create the, the action heroine where it's like, yeah, you go girl. You, you get to fuck uh, Brad Pitt or daredevil. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's the same. Like, um, like in broad terms, we we have different fantasies, and um, Hollywood writes for just one kind of fantasy. And like, yeah, we're Hollywood just, writes for Hollywood. They don't yeah. write for the customer. Imposing what we've always used on heroes, uh, then we'll use it on the female heroes too, because it's what we do for heroes. Just like if you, but it doesn't. 
work. Yeah, because, like, I guess if you were to, like, make that work, it would be, like, you know, you got to take that element that like was, like, in all the YA dystopian novels, where it's, like, you're the adventure hero, but, like, the guys want to get to you, and, and, like, you don't necessarily, uh, like, like, hooking up with all of them, but you're super desirable. Because, uh, like, that, that, that always... I think... Uh, I was say, like, I, I think maybe, like, it's that um, sex is, uh, you know, it's human. And, like, so um, most of, like, uh, our our cinema history is, like, you know, guys are usually the ones just, you know, leering, checking women out, and, oh, my gosh, he's hot. I wish I get with that chick. Like, stuff like that. And, like, that's been in movies and whatnot. But that's become, for some, to be problematic. And, like, now we don't have that in movies because if a guy does that, he's a piece of shit. But, like, yeah, Hollywood still wants that in their movies. So the person they can have now do that without anyone calling it out is now characters like Yeah, Helen. it's supposed to be like... Uh, I, it's bad storytelling. Yeah, go I, ahead, Steve. I, I think about, um, like, I'm a big post-apocalyptic guy. Love Mad Max. And I think about Fury Road. Mm-hmm. Fury Road's fantastic. And one of the staples of post-apocalyptic storytelling is... Yeah, there's people there, but personal relationships and sex just isn't on the table because it's all about survival. Right. And, you know, Max is surrounded by beautiful women when they're escaping and they're spending every moment fighting for their lives because that's what the story's about. I, there's nothing in Indiana Jones outside of. I don't know, the classical romance between a man and a woman mm-hmm. that would, says there's anything more than that. And if you get outside of that, it just feels awkward and weird and broken and wrong. Yeah, I think we, yeah, we, and like, well, uh, Indiana Jones was a ladies' man. I guess, like, throughout the movies, we, like, per movie, he was always with one woman. Like, we didn't see him, like, leering or, or snickering that, you know, he had sex with this chick or that chick. It's always been, like, a relationship that we saw. Now, yeah. it's uh, been turned into thinking that, well, we want our heroes just to sleep around. And now we're going to have Helen to do that. Right. Which is a James Bond femme fatale thing. Mm. So, yeah, so, like, <laughs> so, like, the solution is, let's uh, make a franchise out of Doc Savage. But then again, you need to have a filmmaker oh, who I, is burning, has a real, genuine, sincere desire to make that versus making just another, uh, uh, what's that video game that's Indiana Jones that Isaac made the joke about? Uncharted? Uncharted. Oh, Uncharted. Yeah. So, yeah. you know the inspiration for Uncharted is Doc Savage. I don't know that specifically Doc Savage. I thought it was Indiana Jones. Yes. Oh, no. It's Doc Savage. I, certainly, there's some Indiana Jones influence. But it's actually Doc Savage. Because I know so nothing about him. And uh, it is my plan to read a couple of Doc Savage books now. But yeah, he just keeps coming up. Like um, the first time I really started hearing about him was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, I feel it was like the 90s that it was like in Wizard Magazine where uh, Arnold's like, oh my God, guys, I'm making Doc Savage. Is this happening? This is happening, and like myself and the entire world is like, who's Doc Savage? What's, what is that? <laughs> I think The Rock was tied to it. Dwayne Johnson was supposed to do it about ten years ago. Whatever okay. the script is, I guess it's good, 
but no one wants to finance it. Looking at some pictures of him, he looks cool. He looks like a fun guy. Uh, and he's super smart. <laughs> it's official. <laughs> hey, I look through like uh, I do do a search Google search, and one of the headlines is "It's official." Dwayne is Doc Savage. <laughs> there you go. From what year is this? Twenty sixteen. And then it was never heard from again. Yeah. Because he was too busy making Black Adam. Uh, uh, that is going to be one of the uh, greatest stories of like just throwing everything you have for so long just to turn up to anything. And then, like, hey, Vin Diesel, can I, can I have a, a little piece of Fast and Furious? Uh, hey, 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 Disney. Um, uh, that Moana movie doesn't sound half bad right now. Can I, can I, can I come in? <laughs> Yeah, that that was very cute. He's like, so fast and furious? <laughs> Sorry, Ben. We're cool, right? We're cool. We're family. Thanks for the Welcome, welcome. <laughs> Alright, so yeah. Um let's see. I guess the last thing not a final thought, but a final note of like how to handle these characters. Um, Terry Metalis, I think he said it best, and he understands how we want to see our characters go out. Um, he's, he said that like uh, you want to believe like these characters you love are goes all that you. The last thing you want to see of them is go off into the sunset, so that in your heart and mind you know all the more adventures they're still having, and you can decide for yourself like where they end up if they ever end. They just never end adventure. So that's how like you know his approach to Picard season three where the heroes come back and they get to have their adventures again. And while they're all retiring, they're still themselves and can still probably capably handle more like, you know, adventures still if they wanted to. And that's what would have been nice for Indiana Jones. Like, I just want to see him still be a smart, sharp professor. And like, even in his old age, maybe he's still researching adventures, but man, like I, it's uh, on that personal level, like Harrison Ford wants to turn the lights out on Indiana Jones. Be like, that's it. It's more about me exiting versus us having the audience ending. We want from a character we love. So yeah. Um, uh, any, other, sure. any other points we should be touching on before we do our final thoughts? Uh, did you want to touch on Tomb Raider and uh, Phoebe Waller bridge? Yeah, um, what is there to say? Like, from the sound of it, when she's on her own doing what she wants, she does great work. So it's possible it might be good. Right. I I think it's a good fit. So uh, Lara Croft is a uh, anti-hero. She's selfish. Mm-hmm. She steals treasures to put them in her house. She doesn't put them in a museum. Um, she's a femme fatale. She likes adventure. She's not interested in relationships. The potential to do a good story is there, and she could write a good story from what I've been told. I, my only cause for concern is when she talked about Lara Croft's figure and how she was concerned that Lara is uh, well-endowed and that could be an issue and hard to squeeze between rocks. And what that said to me is like, well, you've obviously never gone rock climbing and squeeze <laughs> between a rock because 
no one I've ever seen or met that was well endowed had <laughs> an issue. Uh, so that one kind of set me off. I went like, look, the, the whole point of Laura is she is unattainable and she lets you know she's selfish and she's greedy. And occasionally she ends up doing something that helps out a lot of people. Um, anyone, my only, my only fear, sorry, real quick. It's really short. Um, my only fear for it is like, it's from the studio that brought us rings of power and wheels of time. Um, so there's going to suck. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind. I take back everything I said. (laughs) I I, I just, I, I who knows? Maybe something, Oh, this time the, the wheel of time was so bad. I went and I <laughs> bought the paperback again and I reread it so I could get the bad taste of that show out of my mouth. You, please oh tell me you God. actually did that. I did. Wow, dude. Yeah, no, that show is so bad. Adaptation. I had to go get the book because I, I read it back in the 90s and I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Wow. Wow, this I is awful. That show. You read all 20 books? Uh, no, I actually got to five or six. I listened to seven and eight, and then I gave up because they, they just repeat. Like, the first three are your classical adventure. We're going somewhere doing something. Mm-hmm. And then there is literally the last 50 pages of the third book. He got the call from the editor who said, we need six books, and changes direction and starts telling this expansive story whoa, 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 introduces a hundred new characters and it, i just like i stopped caring that's what happened like it was yeah. supposed to be three books i heard that he like uh, didn't he also started as one book <laughs> didn't he also die and then eventually brandon sanderson kind of like got his oh yeah that's right yeah. brandon sanderson took over yeah he finished the last book or two based on his notes robert jordan yeah the total series is 14 books sorry not 20 uh, it's yeah. <laughs> I did five or six, but it's like they're all the same thing. You've introduced there is a organization or a group of people called like Hawks One Hundred or Hawkwinds One Hundred or something like that. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, he starts introducing all of the hundred characters, and I'm like, I care nothing about them. Take me back to the original four. Five. I read the. First two books, and after the second book, I threw the book across the room. Uh, I'm uh, not literally, but I got so mad at how descriptive he was about every fucking thing. <laughs> Did not handle that book anymore. Um, but yeah, I noticed the laces on her boots were actually pig leather instead of cow. <laughs> and it no, reminded me of my time in the Two Rivers as a pig farmer. Um, <laughs> so, like. Uh, th- like I, um, I'll never forget the the biggest uh, sense of rage I got from the book was like it was either an entire page or most of a page that was describing a brick wall. Like someone was somewhere and they're like hyper focusing on all the details of a, of a wall on a building, and like that was it. Like it didn't go anywhere, but we we just kept on describing that. Goddamn wall. And like, hey, that was just, some exquisite grout, man. Come on. Oof, wow. <laughs> just how many just pages peak did you do grout. That? Man. But yeah. Anyway, was, um, yeah. but yeah, bring it back to Amazon Please. and stuff. Uh, it, it, it seems with Amazon, if they do fantasy, it's complete and utter shit. But if they do anything that's like espionage, intrigue, action, 
they do fairly well. So if Waller's bridge is kind of leaning Tomb Raider to be more like killing Eve, that might be within the realm of success that Amazon has had with their series thus far. But if it's pure uh, pure fantasy, yeah, just write it off now. <laughs> yeah, because did any of you guys see the Alicia v- Vikander uh, Tomb Raider reboot that like came and went and was completely forgotten to the ethers of time? Did yes, it? just yeah, that one was aggressively mid as well, which was <laughs> yeah. disappointing. So I love Alicia Vikander. I think she's a great actress. Stephen, what do you think? The uh, 2013 uh, Tomb Raider reboot. It's, so the movie was took a little bit of inspiration from it. Movies, yeah, mid mediocre. The game is phenomenal. It, uh, yeah, Tomb Raider actually they do some things in that game that remind me why I fell in love with gaming in the first place. Nice. They really know how to get the emotion out there. All right. I, remember, I, I, thought that, I know that the, that like a reboot uh, trilogy was like largely held in right, high regard, but I think the first one was considered to be the best one. Yeah, I agree. The very, 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 very first uh, Tomb Raider video game. No, no, the uh, the, the one of the the reboots that, that were for this okay, generation gotcha. of console or last generation yeah. of consoles. Yeah, it kind of it takes you on a journey from how did you know she starts out as a college kid. They she gets shipwrecked. She's getting chased down by pirates. Eventually, she gets to the point where she has to grab a gun and kill someone. Mm-hmm. And then she, like, keels over to throw up. Ooh. And the, the storytelling, the evolution of the character. Yeah, I'm just a college kid who knows a lot about this to, oh, my God, now I'm a full-on survivor, fighter traversing doing all this stuff is really good i think the game's probably like 20 30 hours i take my time when i play that i'm a sightseer but yeah i really recommend it and that's probably 10 years old now hmm. yeah you can get it for like five bucks or something um the uh, how uh randomly how the tank man should have gone down um should have been a double team between indiana jones and helena um and and like my version like it, it turns into like a, a timed punch almost like kung fu sequence where indiana jones punches but it's not enough and the bad guy looks and gets another hit from helena with a pipe and he's like what and then another punch comes in and they just kind of like start flowing together as they both, both just start hitting him at the same time until they take him down well like, you know, that, that's how you take it on a tank man well the, the like shonen uh you know japanese storytelling would be like to introduce two things that they're good of good at and uh, th- yes. that they can compensate for the, each other and then in the fight that fight you'd showcase like indiana jones compensates for you know noticing his surroundings and helena is a little bit more nimble because she did gymnastics or she's able to there and then somehow using their both combined strengths uh and uh you know earning respect for each other that's how they overcome him versus uh, <laughs> but i guess that, 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 that would have been more awesome <laughs> yeah that, that would have been really cool Oh well. Or if they had brought short round back, <laughs> they could have had Queen Wan call up a little bit of the data, and Data just whips out a random invention and knocks the guy out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, short get round, Let's get meta meta in here. Man. <laughs> short round and Data show up. Oh my god, I would watch that movie so hard. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I get I, uh, my favorite part of the movie was hearing Indiana Jones say "voodoo." I loved that. <laughs> so, like just, just that, just that word where he's like, "I've been attacked. I've been punched. I've been shot. I've had voodoo." Like I, <laughs> the way he says it, I just I may have played it on the trailer more than once just to hear him say "voodoo." Ah. <laughs> uh, God, Indiana Jones, I love that man so much. He's so cool. All right, then, yeah. Um, anything else, or should we final, final, final thoughts? Yeah, let's wrap her up. All right, Stephen, final words and thoughts and feelings about the Dial of Destiny. I I wouldn't recommend seeing it in the theater. If you're a fan of Indiana Jones, find it on a streaming service that you're already paying for. Uh. Yeah, we spoke to a lot of things. Uh, the film itself is too long, and it's got four different stories in it that really they should have just focused on one. So, MJ? Oh, MJ? Oh, sorry, I was waiting. Uh, I wasn't sure if Steven was done or not. Hey, Steven, are you done? I am. All oh, right. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> well, like I said before, uh, wasn't the massive train wreck of disappointment that I was expecting it to be. It's fine for what it was. I I don't I I wouldn't mind paying for it and seeing the theater. I don't think it's as bad as Steven's pointing out, but um they could have done a lot better with a lot less. And I think that's the main thing they need to start understanding overall at Disney top to bottom, whether it's Lucasfilm or Marvel or whatever, start doing more with less because they're spending way too much money for pure and utter crap. And they're starting to see it in their bottom line. All we're getting is a bunch of sugar. Nobody wants sugar anymore. They want something a little more fulfilling. We want to see Indiana Jones, if they were going to trot him out one more time, actually have a worthwhile adventure instead of, well... It's obvious we made a movie just to make a movie, and that's what <laughs> yes. you see on the screen. We wanted to see Indiana Jones done right, and they just did it to do it. And did good it luck to them to ever it. making their money back. But as it is, I can't recommend it to it. Recommend other people to go running out to the theater to see it. But if you are an Indiana Jones fan, the completest, go for it. Isaac? All you. 45 to 50 late 30 guys in the gym or dads at home on a a Sunday evening. Kids are out. Wife's going to a book club in the gym. You got two hours to kill. I have the ultimate movie for you. (laughs) This is a two hour epic. It kind of feels like that guy you used to watch. It's perfect for a matinee with a Shawshank Redemption, and you'll be seeing it for the next 10 years. And this <laughs> is the purpose that this movie was made for, and that will be its eternal legacy. <laughs> That's an insult to Shawshank Redemption, man. <laughs> I I'm love so- that movie. Don't, don't, so- drag, don't drag Shawshank into this. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just know, like, among cinephiles, like, it's become, like, you know, loved to be mocked as, like, the ultimate dad movie. 
dead. Shawshank replaced Beastmaster. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, yes. The Librarian 5 is definitely what this movie was. Uh, you're going to have a great time. It's going to remind you of that guy from those movies who also is kind of cranky. Um, it, it's, it's really a it's, thing. Yeah, it, it, it's really expensive. Uh, to me, I kind of would have rather seen The Flash because at least The Flash throw more like interesting spectacle but um yeah. you, you you did you you spent a lot of money to make um <laughs> kind of something that was mid i wish you'd spent more time on the story and figuring out why those old films worked and why they're timeless uh but i think this is a great capstone on uh, kathleen kennedy's career and i hope they use this to teach uh, future film classes because i think its role in the cultural discussion uh and its role in future film history is more interesting than the movie itself well said. Uh, let's see. So my final take is that um, it's not bad at all. It's not it nearly as bad as like like uh, I guess we call it Chudverse on YouTube. <laughs> I, I almost feel like they wrote like a lot of like the funnier over the top reviews. It's like they wrote those before they saw the movie. Oh, yeah, they totally prejudged it. it. They, yes. they, had, they had a mindset set, and they were not going to be. Change, they were not going to have their mind changed at all. A- absolutely, like I, I'm positive they were caught by their audience. Like the audience was waiting for this. Like if they, if they came on and said, you know, it was pretty good. And it, was, it was. I mean, it wasn't that offensive. I, it was, I thought it was fine. Like if they just come up to say that, you know, shrug their shoulders, it's fine. Uh, then they wouldn't get views. So they just went all out printing, tending that like Phoebe is she's trying to take over the franchise, which she didn't. Um, and like it was just a total shit show, which it wasn't. So like I'll say like uh not something I can like recommend. Like if you're if you're a hardcore Indiana Jones fan, I'd recommend it. I I think like, you know, you probably should see the final installment. And if you do, I'll say it's a pretty well made film. It's just like if you're an Indiana Jones fan like I am, you will not want this. This is not something you wanted to see. It's not something that everyone needs to see. Um it was just like I'm glad that like you know if it was gonna be the last one, I'm glad it wasn't as horrible as like the Kenobi series or as, or something like that. It just it was just like yeah, I, I I'll say it's above mid, but the the, the, the final impression, the feeling it leaves behind is quite mid. Um, I thought the Flash was more fun and enjoyable, and I'd watch that before I'd watch this again. But I would say Dial of Destiny is a a better, more legitimate, well-made film than The Flash. So, agreed. Yeah, that's my final take. Um, it was good, but it wasn't terrible. It's just like I wish you guys. I wish they had left it at uh, the Last Crusade, so that I could just like have let Indiana Jones, let Luke Skywalker, let Han Solo just live on my mind. I'll keep giving you money, Disney. Just let me have them live on my mind. But instead. He had to kill them and their family. <laughs> Thanks for letting me pay for that. Ugh. All right. So, um, I think that's it. Anything else? No, I think we're good. All right, MJ, where can we find more of you on the internet? Uh, you can see more of my inane ramblings about life and other such nonsense on all the socials. I am EMJAY3342 out on said socials. Right on. Isaac. 
Uh, hey, yeah, you can see me on my channel, Lobster Magnet Reviews. Uh, check it out. Uh, I've got a bunch of videos cooking, uh, trying to do something a little bit different. Um, so look forward to that, and I uh, hope you check out my new work when it comes out. Hells yes. Steven, remember to like and subscribe. Oh, yeah, Indeed. do all those things. Like, comment, subscribe, uh, all the things the YouTubers ask you to do. For the algorithm. algorithm. <laughs> math. <laughs> algorithm. Math. Algorithm. Math. I, I do hope you, you eventually see that terrible Transformers movie, just so you can see why I love that clip so much. <laughs> oh, just wait. We'll have plenty to talk about for geeking on. But anyway, Steven, yeah. where can we find you? Yeah, Steven Dinelli. Uh, um, so I'm on ArtStation. I, I don't do social media. I, thanks for having me, guys. I've really enjoyed this. So if you invite me back, I, I will definitely come back. This has oh. been a lot of fun. One last um, thing that only you can do. What are the yes. three Indiana Jones books that we should read if you want to have fun with Indiana Jones ever again? Um, if you want to continue, I'd say the comics are really good, but the heart, the, the paperbacks, you want the ones by Max McCoy. And I can't remember if Max did the one Indiana Jones and the Hollow Earth, but that's probably my favorite. But Max McCoy used to write a lot of westerns, and I thought he did a great job with Indiana Jones. And on, yeah, this has been several decades coming because uh, yeah. you recommended these a long time ago. I've been meaning to, and now that's <laughs> yep. now uh, I think I got some time on my hands. Yeah. I read uh, Spinia Jones. Um, Indiana Jones had a comic book series from Dark Horse in the 90s. Uh, the big ones are Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Fantastic comic. Should have been made into a movie. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Sphere of Destiny. That one's really solid. And then they do a Cthulhu one. I think it's Indiana Jones and the City of the Gods. Ooh, all three of those oh my god is that the comic? fantastic movies yes yeah the dark oh, yeah. horse comics from the 90s I, I don't know where you'd find them nowadays but they were all good the golden right. age of dark horse yep yeah. I would like to see uh, Indiana Jones have a Cthulhu encounter yeah it, it was a great story I think they find some kind of like lost city in Greenland somewhere and uh it was short. Oh, wow. It takes me back. I don't remember the details. I just remember I asking myself quite a bit, why doesn't they, why don't they make new Indiana Jones movies and use the comics? Because they're great stories, well-written. Paperbacks were good, too. I'm going to guess because no one knows they exist except for us. <laughs> well, just to add to that, like one thing I always despise uh, about like current Hollywood and uh, what Kevin Feige did really well um, is like you know we're better than the comic books, we're better than the TV shows. We don't need you know Grant Gustin's good enough for TV Flash, but uh, <laughs> movie Flash has to be Urza Miller, and, and it's just a sort of like contempt versus like you know there, there's decent stuff you can pillage. You, you're not so much better that you couldn't like. Like um, work or fi find something that, that that like got this to uh, turn it and craft it into like a good narrative. Uh, I don't know. I always just find it funny how like Hollywood loves to like mine comics, but it still like acts like it's better than comics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and, and it fails. It's like whenever you hear something about a show and they said, "Oh, they told us not to read the comic or don't read the book," it's like that's a red flag. 
the book or the comic is popular because it's a well-written, good story that people like. Why would you not use that? Um, the one Indiana Jones book that I did read that I can't recommend, but like, I'll admit, like, like, uh, like back then when there's just like it felt like maybe there might never be no more Indiana Jones ever again. Parallel Delphi, uh, I was just like vibrating with excitement, like, oh my god, I get to experience Indiana Jones again. And um, the problem is, like, with these kind of stuff, with these kind of stories, some writers don't get the feel of the character. They're just using the name and you can tell and feel it. Um, yeah. like that, that was like a big problem with the star Wars books. Um, like, uh, one that I just got, Oh, was it the uh, heart of the Jedi? Um, a lost book from the nineties that got released, um, like, uh, a year or two ago, uh, by a name, guy, Kennedy Flint. Um, and I started reading it and like, everything feels off like Luke and Han and Leia, the way they talk to each other, just, just massively off but i'm told what you said like with um Mac- mark max mccoy at max um, mccoy yeah you rob read that McGregor, you feel like you're doing an indiana jones story yeah rob mcgregor i don't know why he got the job but his books are no good <laughs> i'm glad it wasn't just me yeah i was no, uh I, very it was uh, disappointing was like, yes yeah. i was like indiana jones is back uh this is indiana jones okay yeah, all the comics are much better than anything McGregor wrote. All right. So, yeah, if you guys want more Indiana Jones, that's where you go. Books and comic books. All right. Uh, you can find me at Keith Justice on Instagram, on Instagram, at Keith Hayward on Twitter, and you can find this podcast and more on popgeeks.com. Also, please, we're on YouTube now. Look us up. We're at Couch Command Unlimited. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we are out. That's it for Indiana Jones. Next time, talk about geek stuff. Have a good night. We're out. Jack.